0: House. No the right house no, I did it We that want to talk, and talk to Marilyn
1: Hack I'm from Canada water
2: United States, our ultimate symbol of law and order, but in
1: a single night, two of its justices will be brutally assassinated.
2: A thousand miles away in New
1: Orleans, a lone law student has pieced together who did the killings and why, and created a document that has become known in the corridors of power as the Pelican Brief. Now, she has become a target, and the only person she can trust is an investigative journalist.
2: Everyone I've told about to brief is dead.
1: If this thing reaches as deep and goes as high as we think it does, these men will do anything not to be exposed.
2: Hello and welcome to the This Had Oscar Buzz podcast, the only podcast that couldn't help but wonder... Whatever happened to Candace Bushnell's dick chair outfit? Every week on this side, Oscar Puzz, we'll be talking about a different movie that once upon a time had lofty Academy Award aspirations, but for some reason or another, it all went wrong. The Oscar hopes died, and we're here to perform the autopsy. I'm your host, Chris File, and I'm here, as always, with everyone's favorite porn theater strangler show. <laughs> <laughs> oh my
1: god. <laughs> of all the ways, of all the ways you could have gone with that. We know what you're doing with that popcorn bucket. <laughs> <laughs> All right, this uh, world-renowned assassin, right? Like, can get in and out of anywhere without anybody noticing. A master of disguise can, you know, imitate people's voices and whatever. And yet, I imagine the guy going into the porno theater with a full bucket of popcorn has got to be pretty conspicuous. A dirty bucket of popcorn. Right? at that there was I someone was like, behind This him. is a bucket he brought with him. That's the other thing, is he like there is somebody behind him who I guess you go on the supposition that, like, if you're in the porno theater, like, I, I, well, I don't think that's true that nobody don't is want to be noticed. Like, people would, I imagine, in a porno theater would probably be paying more attention to the other people because you're cruising in there as well, right? Like, I, I, I don't know. Maybe maybe we, Can we just. Say that I think John Grisham has a very top level understanding of, of porn. Yeah, theory. John Grisham is is uh, <laughs> is not exactly uh, uh, the person I'm going to go to for porn theater accuracy, gay porn theater accuracy. <laughs> okay, yes, we'll say that. Say that. John Grisham. We said it. It's been, it's been said. Uh,
2: once again, we are continuing our May miniseries on Entertainment Weekly's movie preview issues. As you are probably already aware, we have a guest uh, today. Uh, you know him as the co-host of Who Weekly. You will soon know him to be an author. Returning to us for the third time, it's Bobby
1: Finger. Welcome, Bobby.
0: Oh, hello. I'm so glad to be back with the Pelican Brief of all movies. Like, I didn't... Last time was, like, Le Divorce, right? Yes, Was that the last one? Yes, it
1: was.
2: Last miniseries, in fact. That was... Yeah. You joined us for the first time with uh, Micho Black. Micho...
0: Oh, yes. See, Micho Black was fun. Yes. Le Divorce felt like work. I had a good time doing the show, but, like, rewatching Pelican Brief is always a treat. I mean, and as I told you off mic, I would have done it anyway. Cut
1: to Chris (laughs) and I. We're we're sort of trying to put this miniseries together. We're going through the various EW seasonal preview covers and, like, what could we possibly do? What, you know, fits in? What could we put up for the listener's choice? And the second Chris was like the pelican brief was the holiday movie preview cover in 93 i'm like yes we should do it and we got to get bobby to guess because like you are kind of the first person <laughs> i think about when i think about how much i love this movie because like you you share in my love of this movie probably more than anybody else that i know so uh we had to have it's you on
0: just it is just it's the perfect yeah 1993 vibe yep. and aesthetic, and I could. I wish I could live inside this movie. I wish. I mean, <laughs> I mean, even with all the murder, I wish I could <laughs> right. live inside this movie. <laughs> I just, I just pay attention to my ignition every time I turn the. Every time I turn, absolutely.
1: The if you're, if that ignition doesn't turn on the first couple tries you get out of that car. Like that is... And I'll rent my gay porn on home video. Thank you very much. (laughs) How about that? (laughs) I will go to the internet, thank you, and be perfectly safe. So there, (laughs) yeah. Um, I mean, it's become sort of a cliche to talk about the, you know, the 90s thriller for adults that doesn't get made anymore. And it's definitely true, but even some of those genres that we talk about, they don't make them anymore like this anymore. And those, a lot of those have migrated to TV. This kind of thing hasn't even migrated to TV. I think in part, because <laughs> you can't do this across eight episodes. You really need to like, this movie is a long feature, but like mm-hmm. you can't to stretch this out more than the boundaries that are in this movie would take away the charm of this movie. Do you know?
0: Yeah. Yeah. I was listening to your Da Vinci Code episode Mm. last week, and you had mentioned how much you appreciate and sort of, like, shamefully enjoy info dumps. Yes. (laughs) And I think the info dumps that happen in Pelican brief I mean, I'm sure we'll get to it later, but, like, you can't have kind of overwhelming info dumps in something that has a lot of space to breathe. Yes, Like, Mm -hmm. part of the appeal of this movie is that it's so jam-packed with stuff. It's it's just like so much movie and it is kind of hard to follow the way. I mean, I know the first time I saw it, I wasn't hundred percent on what was oh, happening. It's the first me, hour at least. Yeah. yeah.
1: It took me a few times to sort of realize what exactly uh, the plot was, or at least to like have it down. It's not like it's um, very secretive, but the fact that the major uh, info dump of this movie comes from Denzel Washington's character, Greg Grantham, of course, of the Washington post, um, playing Washington Herald thank you very oh, much oh sorry do they did it's the, the Washington fictional Herald? Washington Herald <laughs> uh sorry I uh I forgot that and and John Lithgow as um certainly not Ben Bradley um even though every time I see an editor certainly for a newspaper not. I always think like it's probably Ben Bradley from 1977 or whatever like um but uh the fact that, that we all get all that information from him, not from her telling him, but him playing the recording of her telling him, which I feel like is an interesting choice by Pakula that you have oh, I these love two major choice. A-list stars. <laughs> and yet this information is so secret, is so, you know, shocking. And, and you can't even say it to anybody that we can't get it directly from Julia Roberts. It's almost, I made a joke about, um, earlier this week on Twitter about how The Pelican Brief and The Ring are two classics in the just by watching it the movie says you're going to die essentially cuz Julia says <laughs> oh my god you're everybody so right. I've told about the brief is dead is dead <laughs> The Pelican Brief is like what if the
2: video from The Ring was a PDF
1: Right and so the movie is even saying like we can't let Julia tell you directly or your life will be in danger you have to get this information <laughs> indirectly we're trying we're only trying but to keep you safe by doing this Yeah
0: And it's also that that shot of him listening to it, she records it, he pushes record, and then cut to him listening to it and just, like, brooding to it in the hotel room. It's sort of like what we were saying about how you have to ingest this information a couple of times to make sense of it. That's what he's doing. He's listening to it again. And, like, I I didn't notice that that's kind of a clever move until, you know, the fifth or sixth viewing. It's just so, it's so well done. absolutely... all of it really... It's not this cheap, trashy thriller. It's
1: extremely good. There are things about the movie (laughs) Mm -hmm. that you get from the like third, fourth, fifth, sixth viewings. I don't can't remember how many I'm on at this point. The one that struck me this time was when he's hiding out in the cabin, when Lithgow sends him, like, go off to your cabin and, you know, think this over. And he starts to hear rustling in the woods, all the while he's watching this frontline episode about. Uh, some the pelican so is it pelicans. was was it specifically about that particular case about how there was a lawyer who had been working on it who had gotten killed who had
0: yes it's the one that Darby tells him about she says well I was just sitting at home watching Frontline and so he gets a copy of that right Frontline and, but the scene that's is Tony Goldman gets the later.
1: scene is played that's right because he says fucking PBS um. Um, <laughs> yes. Which is a, a a gift that I feel like I'm surprised doesn't get uh, utilized or anything like that. Anytime uh, <laughs> I don't know uh, they take Laura Linney off of Masterpiece or something like that, and we all get mad about it. Um, but what, him watching that as he's hearing somebody rustling outdoors is kind of played just on the edge of comedy, where it feels like the frontline narrator is almost doing this like little children-esque like narrating of his own life (laughs) (laughs) it's almost like stranger than fiction where it's just like he heard a rustling outside the window outside the window um
0: an episode of frontline scored by james horner too i mean because it has the music within can you imagine
1: it's so it's so the james horner score we'll probably get to talking about it when we talk about the movie But, like, Mm -hmm. the ideal legal thriller score that all of the other ones... I want to look up now who did the score for The Firm, because The Firm, I also feel like, these two movies in tandem, the scores for those movies have... I would always sort of describe uh, scores for thrillers like this as, what if you pushed a piano down a flight of stairs? And, (laughs) like, (laughs) this movie is 100% what I'm talking about, as is The Firm. The Firm... Uh, music the firm by... score is
2: by dave kruzan okay he's uh or kruzan oh,
1: okay. um uh oscar nominated score
2: it's really jazzy the
1: firm yes score. yes it is um and and yeah the i mean god the the parking garage chase in this movie is everything you want from this particular genre uh-huh. like it is this genre really distilled is. perfectly All right, but we'll 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 get to the Pelican brief. We have all this EW stuff to talk about, too, which I'm also very excited. Um, Okay, so this
2: EW issue. When I was reading through it, and I sent you guys most of it, or at least the pertinent stuff about it, it mm-hmm. almost made it seem weird that we're doing this mini series in the seasonal calendar order. And this is our earliest issue because right. you could, I mean, like, you see how they're trying. To do the like the infant days of uh, their like pop perspective on you know celebrity culture yeah. or like entertainment mm-hmm. in general, but I gotta say this was like the most raggy or sleazy yes, issue. I where thought so still too. Kind uh-huh. of figuring it out.
1: Yes, there there was a lot of they were they were getting a lot of mileage in this issue in particular out of trying to sound insidery. What like that cynical kind of insidery. I sort of made note of it after a while where I was like, and not to like, you know, get overly, you know, political about it or anything, but like the sort of abled, straight white male centrism of some of those write-ups was like really telling when yeah. they would talk about like heaven and earth and like does anybody does anybody want to watch this movie from the perspective of a Vietnamese yeah. woman? Uh they talk about Sort of similarly, when they talk about Geronimo, they talk about how Philadelphia, you know, AIDS is not a a topic people are going to be willing to watch on screen. They use the Mm -hmm. word, the R word twice in the span Uh, of like six write-ups in the write-up for Gilbert Grape and in the write-up for A Dangerous Woman. And it's just a a question of they hadn't gotten the EW tone of insidery, but. Welcoming, you know. Well, yeah, because it feels a little sleazy, but
2: it also feels a little bit tradesy. Like yes. they yes. haven't found a balance of like they're not a trade, right. but like they definitely fired people who worked at trades. Yes,
0: mm-hmm.
2: there's good but, gossip in it, though.
0: There is. Like, there there is. is. The Shannon some gossip, gossip that I've never. Heard. I
1: loved the. Um, the part where in there's just, it's just a little sidebar thing. It's called the attack of the five foot woman. Now, this was in the, in the thick of Shannon Doherty gossip machine. She had married Ashley Hamilton, George Hamilton's son. Mm -hmm. And this was at the height of, is she going to get fired from 90210? Everybody on the show hates her. She and Ashley Hamilton are like going around LA. Uh, you know, acting up. And the one blurb that they have at the end of this is a quote that she told a patron at Merck Bar in New York, which was, you don't have to be bigger than the guy to beat him up. You just attract their attention, then knee them in the balls. When they're down, knee them in the face. (laughs) We used to have celebrities, you guys. We really did. Like, that was amazing.
0: There was was a... Three bullet run. I mean, beyond just the, like you said, the heaven and earth thing, where there's fully a question that's like, will America want to watch a sympathetic portrayal of Vietnamese people? Yes. It's just yes. like it's wild. But um there's a three bullet run in the hot sheet, and I screenshotted it twelve, thirteen, and oh, 14. Mullen
1: was on one, like, and not in a fun. <laughs> he way. was losing it. Yeah, <laughs> twelve. There, there are
0: multiple jokes about. A movie where Robin Williams does drag, but twelve Mrs. Doubtfire donning drag. Robin Williams because a maid, becomes a maid to be near his kids during a custody battle. Yeah. Ru nanny, which I was Ooh. like, oh, kind of an early RuPaul yeah. joke. Thirteen bulimia, the tabloid disorder of the month. I have it, but I keep forgetting to purge. <laughs> Shocking. <Yeah. laughs> and then fourteen, Yikes. Whoopi and Ted split. He put his foot down when she wanted him to wear blackface around the house. I, like, don't even understand that as a joke. Well, <laughs> it's the... I mean, I understand the reference. Right, the okay, okay, te, te okay. Te yes, 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 right. but yes. But yes.
1: But why is also, that
0: supposed to be Also, the
1: graphic funny? that accompanies this, because there's art, little uh, drawings that accompany so some Oreo. of these, and the graphic to that one is two hands pulling apart an Oreo. It's so crude, <laughs> crap. it's unreal. it is
2: wildly offensive. The
1: other one that I noted, Bobby, cuz I I did the same thing as you. I noted a bunch of those. Um including a joke about like how everybody in New York City gets mugged. Har, ha ha. Like um mm-hmm. but the number 3 one was the SATs. It's that time of year for high schoolers. If Johnny has 5 guns and Sally has 8 bullets, how many students can they kill between them? What? Like This is, and obviously, this is like pre Columbine or whatever. So, like, it really, like, school shootings were, I guess, still thing. This is in the wake of like the Pearl Jam Jeremy video, which also gets mentioned uh, early in this thing. Um, But, like, even if that was the case, and like, that's a terrible joke. Like, that is, holy shit, you. These F. horrible
0: holy shit jokes that come yeah. after just bad jokes, where yes. it's just like yes. there's one that's like Isn't it funny that Al Pacino just does the same thing all over over and over again and then it makes some horrible joke about school shit? Jim Mullen
1: history. Jim Mullen's
2: monster. hot sheet yeah. is the Urtex to Pheromone's drag race, <laughs> Yes.
1: <wrote>. Yes. <laughs> it's just, it's like, just it's,
2: mean. You're just saying mean and horrible things that aren't funny, yep. but because it's so bad it's wraps back around
1: me. There's another sort of side thing that I wanted to mention too that is uh, not so much offensive, but just very funny. Um, It's on that same page, actually, as the Hot Sheet. They talk about, uh, it's a quote from Daniel Baldwin, who at the time was on (laughs) Homicide, Life on the Street, but was still basically famous for being, like, the fourth most famous Baldwin at that point. So Mm -hmm. the quote is, and obviously Beavis and Butthead is a very popular television show on MTV at this time. Uh, The quote is, my brother Stephen and I want to do Beavis and Butthead. I'm Butthead and he beavis can't you see it they'll probably get people like dana carvey and robin williams to do it they're too old but they're hollywood names and that's how this place works like made me laugh i know about the industry I, well i was just like that's hollywood for you getting incredibly successful comedians instead of stephen and daniel baldwin <laughs> like, <laughs> those corrupt fat cats are at it again
0: another thrilling insight from a baldwin from a
1: baldwin thank you baldwin thank you um
0: yes i liked i mean no it's not to disrespect the dead not that he couldn't that not that he doesn't deserve disrespect but i did find the on the same page the the feature about how william hurt is in his flop era yeah basically <laughs> really funny
1: yeah yeah it was pretty funny. they did not have the because terminology the william hurt for flop hurt era, era
2: yeah. was like the final william hurt era because he just
1: ultimately kind of
2: went away for a while.
1: Well, he had he he sort of found a way to return into movies and now I want to sort of bring up his uh his filmography again because I feel like he got that Oscar nomination for A History of Violence. History he violence. was in like a small role in AI, right? Where like and that felt like this Oh right, he's the scientist. Right. Oh my god. Yeah, yes. I just watched that movie again recently, and like every time I watch that movie. movie, I remember it. It's like it's better than the last time I've watched it. Like it's mentioned in the CW. Oh, it is. Yes, it is. Yes, that Kubrick was just starting. It's like Stanley oh.
0: Kubrick will be directing it. There
1: are a few projects that get mentioned in this that are like incredibly uh, long lead stuff, or stuff that never got made. They mentioned a Paul Verhoeven movie called Crusade that he was going to make with Arnold Schwarzenegger that, like, to the best yes. of my knowledge, was never made. Um, Joe Dante was going to do the mummy. He never ended up uh, doing that. Um, there's a lot of that kind of stuff, but yeah, like, uh, William Hurt filmography. I'm trying to think of like where it started to come back for him. I guess it is right around, um, a history of violence. Cause then like he'll be, he's not the star of anything after that, but like Syriana, the good shepherd into the wild, he plays the dad. Um, and then, once he gets that role in the MCU, he gets that kind of like nice mm-hmm. thing of like mainstream movie that like, you know, I'll get into American theaters with or whatever, while doing other sort of like smaller stuff by that point it was television. He was on Damages. He was in he's actually really good in Too Big to Fail, which is my favorite of the HBO current event movies. Mm-hmm. Um which was directed by Curtis Hansen, which is why I think it's my favorite one, instead of all the Gia Roach ones. Um, but he plays Henry Paulson in Too Big to Fail. So, by that last sort of decade or so of his life, I think he had found a good balance. I think he had sort of emerged from uh, what E.W. was not forward-thinking enough to call flop era, even though it was, uh, in fact, <laughs>
2: I mean, it's a reminder that there was a time where he actually was a really big movie star. Yeah, um, on top of being a really big piece of shit.
1: Three consecutive um, Best Actor nominations in a row, which is which is uh, pretty significant. Um, and what else was in this issue? I sort of I, I i jotted down a whole bunch of stuff because like there is oh the there's other the whole
2: flashes section, which feels like a random hodgepodge of not just gossip but like on set things there's a mention of like cindy crawford being at like a fashion week
1: yeah they used to do a lot yeah of like the pelican
2: brief blurb doesn't get a huge like what we would think of now for a cover story, it doesn't get that much space within the movie preview, but Julia Mm -hmm. is all over this issue and she leads this flashes section where it's like rumors about her
1: and Lyle Lovett, maybe starting to
2: have a baby or.
1: Yeah. I definitely want to get into that. Once we get to the Pelican brief portion of this, because like there's a lot, Yeah, this era of Julia is really interesting. Um, They, one of the news items that they drop early is uh, was uh, River Phoenix had died only a month earlier, not even like he had died obviously mm-hmm. on um, on Halloween 1993, and this issue is dated November 19th, 1993. So, the thing mm-hmm. that I either never knew or had totally forgotten was that he was supposed to be in an interview with a vampire, as mm-hmm. which is funny because that makes two Vampire Chronicles movies that had major stars die before uh the movie came out obviously oh, wow. Aaliyah yeah. had been had filmed queen of the damned um but by the time that movie came out she was dead um but that they had to scramble to recast River Phoenix and the men- the names they mention Christian Slater who eventually gets the role and i think everybody can agree is kind of the part of interview with the vampire everybody forgets um yeah uh steven dorff which is an interesting uh to think of in terms of like where he was in his career at the time and then leonardo dicaprio who at this point hadn't even gilbert grape hadn't even come out yet so he hadn't even Gotten his first Oscar nomination, then, and I'm just imagining if there was a movie now that had in 1994 Brad Pitt, Tom Cruise, and Leonardo DiCaprio all at the same time, uh, we'd never stop talking about it. Like, and the fact that they would be in service of an Anne Rice like queer, queer toned <laughs> vampire movie directed by Neil Jordan like it's already an amazing. We'd movie, have to do, a- but like exponentially more so if Leonardo DiCaprio in that movie as well.
0: You have to does do I, a lot of muting on Twitter.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> okay,
2: does anybody remember who the interviewer is interviewing for? Is he a news reporter or something? Because all of these oh. actors at that time would be
1: babies. What is this interview for? A term paper? Well, Christian Slater at least played, like, a little bit older. Like, you write right, DiCaprio would have been, like, really felt really really young and yes it would have been like my college paper wants me to interview this guy everybody <laughs> thinks is a vampire and uh i'll get extra credit yeah,
2: his harvard application essay <laughs> or something
1: uh, i can't imagine it's a real newspaper or a real publication an interview with a vampire just because everything about that feels very is so historical fiction anyway the wikipedia uh write-up doesn't describe it but anyway um Yes. Leonardo DiCaprio would have literally been like, my my eighth grade class uh, news report uh, needs me to ask you about, what was it like? So, Mr. Listener. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, what a scoop, though, for, for a young journalist, though. It really would uh, uh, rocket you to fame. So, yes. Um, can we talk about the Macaulay Culkin article, which... Yeah, obviously, we all know that Macaulay Culkin's uh, father had this like awful reputation or whatever. And I think now we know it in more of an abstract way. Reading the specifics of it, I really was like this fucking guy. I must have said that like three or four times. We're like, Mm -hmm. people must have absolutely despised this guy. And clearly you can tell because like, it's there in the in the write up.
0: I didn't know the. I didn't know most of this. Like yeah. I, again, I uh, like you said, I only knew him as kind of an annoying bad stage dad right. broadly. Right. But mm-hmm. like, he almost torpedoed Home Alone too. That shocked yeah. me, mm-hmm. and it made me. He strong armed his daughter into the Good Son. Um, I have never seen the Nutcracker. Nor have but I. This kind of I explains why. Yeah, because Macaulay didn't do press for it. So it's like I just never. Yeah. I remember seeing the Nutcracker like trailer on a VHS that we had it was at the front of one of them yeah but I never had any it sort of existed to me as this weird anomaly like something that I never knew existed until it appeared on the trailer for I mean on the VHS for some movie yeah but then I love the story I love where it was like he might even
1: jeopardize Richie Rich yes <laughs> I love that <laughs> that program. was another movie that oh, was no. in development then and just like not Richie Rich not not this movie we've been waiting for our our comic mm-hmm. book uh movie of our dreams Richie Rich yeah
0: great kicker to this though too which i'd never put you know two and two together there either oh like yeah the the, the the poetry of him starring
1: and getting even with that yes yes exactly well that was the and and the quote that uh, led up to that was or it wasn't a quote i guess it was just uh, the in the article that essentially you got the sense that the industry was hoping for a macaulay culkin movie to fail so that they would finally have mm-hmm. some leverage on this guy's dad so that they finally mm-hmm. would be able to be like, "Well, you don't you're not as all powerful as you think, your son totally. is not you know a guaranteed hit every time, so now we can maybe take some of that leverage back um but- well, and
2: the Nutcracker was the one maybe from like. Watching e true Hollywood story episodes or shows like that, where the Nutcracker was the one that always marked the downfall yeah. of Macaulay Culkin, specifically mm-hmm. because that's when things were coming to a head mm-hmm. in the press and mm-hmm. with him clashing with producers was the Nutcracker. Yeah,
1: truly a film that does not exist. Back to the William Hurt thing I- for a second too, um, where we're talking about. Projects that were sort of in the future and wouldn't maybe happen or wouldn't happen that same way, they do mention that he was supposed he was uh supposed to be cast as the Kevin Bacon role in the River Wild, Bobby, another movie you and I uh, mm. uh have in common um <laughs> and was supposed to be cast in the portrait of a lady, I imagine in the Malkovich role um that would make sense but two movies that didn't really happen with him in it obviously so there's a lot of what this movie had in tone that i didn't appreciate it made up for in scoop that i had either never known or had (laughs) forgotten about so at least they're giving me that they also mentioned when in the um, in the philadelphia write-up that if this movie is a hit and already the buzz on it was very very good especially for hanks um that- I was going to say, one of the things I wanted to bring up, this issue feels more
2: like Philadelphia should have been on the cover, yeah. but maybe it's one of those things they were saving it for, maybe. an Oscar issue or something. There's like two ads for Philadelphia in this issue, like it gets brought up multiple times throughout, just not a side From the write-up,
1: and they talk about how if this movie is a a success, that several of these movies that have been on shelves because studios are too timid to release gay-themed movies uh, could finally come out. One of them they mention is The Object of My Affection, which still wouldn't come out until '97. I want to say,
0: right? Uh, '98, uh '98
1: maybe. Like it's still a while for The Object of My Affection to the point where the two stars of it were not even on the map at this point uh, in in hollywood and then the other one was the mayor of castro street is that the same project that would eventually be milk or is that a totally different project
0: i was wondering that
2: too i believe there were different projects at different times that like just evolved throughout the years because dustin lance black i think started from basically a blank slate gotcha gotcha, whereas the original project for harvey milk was based off of that book
1: gotcha gotcha um well, that's good the, and interesting um, to know. Go ahead, Bob.
0: The good son, the good son thing that I I took from this was there was a there was a line in the in the Nutcracker piece mentioning the good son, and it said that Kit strong arm Macaulay into the role, and they had already cast it. So I was like, oh well, who did they cast? They said that he overtook another boy who had already been cast in this. And so I went to the Wikipedia, and on the Wikipedia I learned two things about The Good Son that I did not Here. know, which is that Macaulay Culkin took over for Jesse Bradford. No way. Um, oh. Coming role. off of
1: that Soderbergh movie that he had done uh-huh. I Imagine King of the Hill, right?
0: Yep. And then, do you know who wrote the screenplay for The Good oh. Son? Because I had no w- clue. We <laughs>
1: talked about this semi-recently, and now I've forgotten it again. But uh, hit me with it. Mamet, point. right? Ian McEwen. It's Ian McEwen. Yes. Oh! <laughs> we have talked When about we this. did Chesil Beach, we talked about it. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just
0: wild. Yes. Um, and they just said, hey, Ian, can you write something really, really fucked up about a kid? That was like what they asked him to do. Yeah. This would have Even been though, after I guess
2: the it's... Cement Garden, which is famously like his incest book, right? So they're like, mm-hmm. just give us something else that's twisted and potentially controversial. <laughs> yeah.
1: The, uh, the thing that I learned from the Macaulay Culkin interview, and now I want to find it in the um well whatever that macaulay the culkin boys are bonnie bedelia's nephews
0: i think i like that either i never knew that that. they mentioned
1: it somewhere i'm trying to now scan it for uh for her name (laughs) but um that was a that was a fact that i never knew i guess um i don't know i don't know if it changes anything about my view of hollywood but uh always glad i'm always Voracious for who's related to who stuff in Hollywood that I've never known before. So this is always yeah. good for me. The
2: thing I learned from the Macaulay Culkin piece is that the Good Son isn't the only movie where he says "Don't fuck with me." He says it in the Nutcracker as well. <laughs> <laughs> That's how they lead the Nutcracker. That's how he leads it yeah. up.
0: What a strange decision. Making he pirouettes that
2: nutcracker. directly towards the camera. Looks into it and says, "Don't fuck with me."
1: Do you, do you ever? Uh, and then jetes is away. Did either of you ever watch the critic, the animated series, The Critic? Absolutely, yes. I watched The Critic. Macaulay Culkin in The Nutcracker sounds like a fake movie on The Critic that that uh, J. Sherman would <laughs> pan or something like that, right? Just one of those like mm-hmm. Hollywood casting run amok. Just because somebody is famous, they try to shoehorn them into every possible kind of of film, and that's just se- such a seemingly ill fitting endeavor that that's what it made me think of
0: it does seem like a movie that doesn't exist totally
1: i want to delve into the the holiday preview specifically though in the movies that they mentioned because obviously 93 i'm like in junior high or whatever so like the only movies of these i'm seeing are the ones that are like you know pg pg 13 i can get into obviously sister act 2 adam's family values mrs doubtfire like that corner was obviously pitched right to me. The Three Musketeers, mm-hmm. I remember being very excited about. The uh, Kiefer Sutherland, Brian Charlie Adam's Sheen. Song. Yeah, of course. I mean, we've talked about that one a lot, actually. Um, that song. <laughs> More than you would think for a podcast in uh, the 21st <laughs> century. But, you know. Wayne's World 2, I was also very excited for. And I remember, even at the time, as a 13-year-old who like was very easy to please, but I remember watching that and being like, it's not the same not as good yeah uh, but like I'll, it's pretty good in retrospect it's pre- like watching it again i had a better time than i remembered having. i mean drew barrymore's in it how bad can it possibly be mm-hmm. uh, honestly and kim basinger so you got that that's one of the best dumb jokes actually in one of those movies is uh garth can i be frank okay but can i still be garth <laughs> 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 um but like all of this oscar stuff I would have to come to much later, right? The Piano, I didn't see right. until years later. Um, mm-hmm. What's Eating Gilbert Grape? I eh, I probably saw within a couple years of it. Um, yeah. But, like, some of these... It's on HBO a lot. Yes. But some of these movies that were big Oscar-buzzy things that didn't... That, like, fell short were things that I either still haven't seen or wouldn't see... For years. Like, I only just saw A Dangerous Woman maybe four years ago or something like that. Like, really pretty recently. Winger mm-hmm. Winger's very good in it. It's directed by uh, Jake and Maggie Gyllenhaal's dad. Um, But,
0: like... I haven't seen the Oscars. I hadn't seen A Dangerous Woman or Wrestling Ernest Hemingway. I've never seen
1: Wrestling Ernest Hemingway. Directed mm-hmm. by the same guy who did, speaking of William Hurt, uh, Children of a Lesser God. Or, or woman, sorry. Uh, who directed Children of a Lesser God. Um, and A Perfect World I've never seen. The clean Eastwood, uh, Kevin Costner. It's one
2: we've always thrown around doing for we should, an episode at some point. It's
0: fine. I, I watched it after I. I'm, I'm a big fan of, unfortunately, weirdly, strangely. I'm a big fan of Midnight in the Garden of Good and Evil. I just love that book like millions of other people. And I think that the movie is a great, yeah, vibe. Yeah. Kevin Spacey sort of taints it now, but like you can kind of look past that. So much of it has nothing to do with him. Yeah. But like I watched A Perfect World after watching Midnight thinking. Oh, I've seen a couple of Clint Eastwood movies and I like most of them, but when you start watching a lot of Clint Eastwood movies, you realize that like the hits are <laughs> kind of few and far That's between. The least, ones that you really like. Yes.
1: That's an era though where Clint Eastwood movies were still pretty eclectic, the movies he directed. Where like going from mm-hmm. A Perfect World to Bridges of Madison County to Midnight in the Garden of Good and Evil is a lot different than going from the Mule to Cry Macho too you know what i mean like it it, his his Mm -hmm, brand mm -hmm. has really kind of calcified in the last decade or so and um but yeah i i should see i should watch a perfect world at some point um other ones that i like i never saw in the name of the father until several years later i only just saw shadowlands this year for another podcast that i was on for the b-sides podcast Mm -hmm. um that's a really interesting one Hopkins is actually... In the
2: Name of the Father and Shadowlands, which get their
1: own section for Irish
2: movies? Irish and British <laughs> movies! Issue? Yep, yeah.
1: yep. Across the pond. It made me want to see The Snapper. I didn't realize that The Snapper, which I only really know when as too. being one of those rando Golden Globe nominees, that Colm Meany got a Golden Globe nomination uh, for that one, and... It was a can movie. Apparently, it had it had it had a favorite at can, and um, mm. that's interesting. The and that didn't that
0: write up also have the the dig that you know I I think of even that that reminds me of my childhood the the couple of years where everyone dumped on Candace yep. Bergen slash Murphy Brown. It's for, a movie about uh, you know having the nerve to be a, an unmarried yes, mother. Yes, <laughs> anything
1: about single mothers was was traced back to Murphy Brown, even in the most tangential Mm -hmm. way. Yes. Um, And this is already... The Murphy Brown thing was in 92, because that's when um, George H.W. Bush was running for re-election, and that, of course, was Mm -hmm. a big wedge issue that they tried to make. Um, Certainly now we're much past the idea of uh, Republicans (laughs) being able to make hay with wedge issues about women's uh, reproductive health. Anyway, um... And of course, obviously, this is the big uh, Schindler's List year, which gets the briefest little blurb. Like, they barely mention it. And that's one of those things, Chris, We talked about, are they saving it for a future issue? They must have been. Because, like, it's not like that was a movie that snuck up on people. That was hugely anticipated. Well,
2: and especially Jurassic Park would have already happened this year, too. So you Mm -hmm. would think... That would even get a mention in the Schindler's Lizbler. Yeah. No. They don't really mention it as an Oscar prospect. The one that is like the big Oscar prospect is Philadelphia.
1: Yeah. And Heaven and Earth is the other. Heaven and Earth with much more of a question mark over it.
2: But obviously. Well, and Heaven and Earth also gets this profile at the end of the preview, which makes you wonder. Yes. Like typically in a holiday movie preview, it gets the type of profile in there that it would have been the cover. Right.
1: But they don't want to put. Uh, obviously, there there were no. The star of that movie was not a major Hollywood star, so they clearly made the choice that they wanted to put Julia Roberts on the cover to you know sell. Issues. Well, and even
2: the headliner right. is Tommy Lee Jones, who would win his Oscar this year for a movie yeah. that had come out months prior. Right, Heaven and Earth is one of the floating heads on the issue, though we should mention what those are. It's Tommy Lee Jones in Heaven and Earth. Uh, Denzel Washington for Philadelphia, curious why they didn't just put him on the cover with Julia, since there would be, you know, two movies he's promoting. Uh, Emma Thompson for In the Name of the Father, which they just list as name of father. (laughs) You know, state of play, name of father, et cetera. Uh, Johnny Depp for What's Eating Gilbert Grape, the aforementioned Macaulay Culkin in The Nutcracker. Uh... Is this Jason Priestley for Geronimo? It's got to be Jason Patrick. Jason Patrick, same thing. Uh just ask Julia Roberts at the time.
1: She would tell you. Yeah. <laughs> yes,
2: don't ask Julia Roberts.
1: Oh my God. <laughs> that was I that's one of the first tabloid stories that I remember. Like that I that I remember mm. even hearing about was Julia Roberts running off with Jason. Uh, running off with Jason Patrick three days before her uh, wedding to Kiefer Sutherland. And that was such big That was big. this year. Yeah, yes. Well, You're I mean, we're talking about. God, like the and then the, the fact that no, because the 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 wedding that didn't happen oh, no, was, that 91. 91. That was 91. She married Lyle Lovett in 93. But in like 93. the intense fascination with Julia Roberts's love life was um, obviously such a big thing. I want to sort of go through very yeah. briefly, though, the movies that only get a scant mention in the also also runs essentially. One of which is Six Degrees of Separation, one of my favorite movies from 1993. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Stalker Channing obviously gets the Best Actress nomination from that in a way that, like, I look at that nomination, and I'm like, it's very fortunate that that happened. Because in, you know, you talk about, like, in the multiverse way, like, a thousand different universes, and that, that nomination happens maybe in, like, 50 of them right where Mm -hmm. it had to have been very easy to overlook that movie it's you know it's based on a play it's it's small she's not a huge she's obviously a a movie star that people know but like not in a sort of major box office way all the attention on that was on will smith and she gets the nomination just for being great in it you know what i mean and like that it right. doesn't happen. We're kind of
2: enough. being responsible, for slapping the hand of God. Slapping guns. the
1: hand of God. Gu- God, What a great movie! What a fantastic. But movie.
2: she captures the satire of it so well, so it's easy. I ultimately think to hinge because she's the only nomination for the movie. Yes. Correct. It didn't have a screenplay nomination. No. It's easy to hinge. What is good about that movie on her performance because she make she shoulders a lot of the burden of this kind of tricky humor that it's doing. Yeah.
1: Ninety three Best Actress. I've talked about this before, is low-key one of the best top-to-bottom best actress classes ever, and people don't talk about it enough, which is a cliche in and of itself. People don't talk about it enough, but, like,
2: it's true. (laughs) Well, because it narrows down to just those top two, right? It narrows down to Holly Hunter and Angela Bassett. Right,
1: but, like, Deborah Winger in Shadowlands, this is what got me talking about it, because Deborah Winger is very good in Shadowlands, and she's, like, obviously number five of those five, but even still, like, Mm -hmm. if that's your weak link, it's an incredibly strong cast. Emma Thompson is so incredibly good in The Remains of the Day, and if she hadn't won the Oscar Mm -hmm. just the year before for Howard's End, she would have been a huge contender. Might have even won for Supporting Actress, because then you could have thrown it to her uh, and still given Holly Hunter Best Actress. Um... Right, and then and then Stalker, who give me catch me on the right day, and Stockard is who I would vote for, just because I I so intensely love that performance. Um,
0: and wasn't that Tina Turner? Yeah, Angela, that Angela Bassett for, Bassett for Tina, Bassett is Turner. Tina yeah. Turner the same yep. year. Like that's that's a stacked yeah. nomination list. Yeah. And mm-hmm. people sort of. I've never seen Shadowlands, so I can't speak to Deborah Winger,
1: unfortunately. She's good. <laughs> Hopkins is sort of the standout in that, but like uh, Deborah Winger plays. He's playing C.S. Lewis or something. He plays C.S. Lewis, and she plays this yeah. um, Jewish American uh, poet who meets him sort of uh, later in life, and they mm-hmm. marry, and she uh, gets sick and dies, and her son is played by. Uh, Joseph Mazzello from Jurassic Park, which was obviously the same year as Jurassic Park. And And obviously, Shadowlands (laughs) is directed by Richard Attenborough, who is Joseph Mazzello's grandfather in Jurassic Park. So there's a lot going on in there. Um, Really interesting movie. But yeah, clearly the fifth of those five. But even still, like, you know, it's not like we got. Great Deborah Winger performances, you know, growing on trees here, especially as she moved into this stage <laughs> in her career where she kind of disappeared from Hollywood for a, for a long time. So, yeah, a fantastic category, a fantastic year. And you can't quibble with Holly Hunter winning for the piano because, like, she's fantastic in that. But right. you could make a case for so many of those actresses in that, in that category.
0: The Entertainment Weekly write-up cannot believe that she doesn't speak. Oh, it. they're it's so like, fast! She doesn't speak. She doesn't speak. She doesn't speak. She doesn't speak. How is, how does this exist? She doesn't speak. But like, you know, you can tell they've, they've seen the movie. Right. (laughs) Like, Like, the person who's writing this has seen the movie and knows that it's effective. But, um,
1: yeah, the tone of it, again, you know, very uh, straight white, abled male uh, tone of just like me step out of my comfort zone, step out of my uh, (laughs) sphere of experience uh, at a movie. I, I can't believe it. So, um, yeah, the, the write up of Heaven and Earth. Uh, just to go back to that for a second, is interesting because it reminded me that like once upon a time, Oliver Stone has sort of you know crankified himself in obviously recent decades mm-hmm. and has become a personality who is not worth paying attention to now. I think, but mm-hmm. there was a time where he used his stature in Hollywood to kind of stick his thumb in 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 eyes that needed thumbs stuck in them you know what i mean where he Mm -hmm. he he refused to sort of let go of the vietnam thing just because people were like another vietnam movie really and and you know you give him credit for that say what you will about the veracity of stuff in jfk it is a phenomenal movie Mm -hmm. and and he sort of his his consistent stance against sort of institutional uh, government action against you know regular people however fantastically that would uh, sort of express itself was i think admirable for a very long stretch yeah it's uh-huh. weird to be the guy sticking Heaven up for earth. oliver stone because he does seem like <laughs> such a kind of like objectively person you wouldn't want to be stuck in an elevator with to put that mildly um but oh yeah uh yeah he was, this, was a, this was a very interesting era for him.
0: It got zero Oscar nominations, right? Like zero. That. And it barely made any money or something? Yeah. It, yeah.
1: It, yes. It, uh, to call it a flop is tough because like, the reviews weren't bad, but um, it did uh-huh. not make the impact that I think uh, it could have. Chris, I imagine you yeah. want to talk about We're Back, A Dinosaur Story. <laughs> uh, was so happy to see that under a section called A
2: Child's Christmas, <laughs> alongside, again, the aforementioned Nutcracker, Batman Mask of the Phantasm, and the Oscar-nominated Beethoven's second...
1: But a yes, score? We're back a Dinosaur Wait, Story. Beethoven's second, a score song? nominee? How was dare you?
2: Song? Original song nominee, yeah, The Day I Thought I Loved. Right. right. Randy Newman? Great song. No, Dolly Parton. Dolly Parton and, oh my god, um... Why did I want to say Cleveland Derricks? Um I'm
1: totally unfamiliar oh, with this. I have who to is, admit.
0: Yeah, who is the guy? It's like a very like throaty voice, booming male male voice.
1: Hold on, let me look it God, up. God, what is
0: his name? Who is it?
1: Let me look it up. Uh, nine- James Ingram! Oh, James there we go. Ingram, of course. James Ingram, who famously duetted with Linda Ronstadt on um, uh, Somewhere Out There from American Tale, which is my personal Beethoven second. I don't know. <laughs>
2: It's such a jarring song if you listen to it on its own because it's this very early 90s sweeping ballad and it fucking rules. And then all of a sudden Dolly Parton says roll over Beethoven and it's like, oh, this is (laughs) is how we tie this.
1: That's very uh, uh, Dolly Parton too. They did both perform that on the Oscars. That year they got pretty much all of the original artist's to perform like Bruce Springsteen performed streets of Philadelphia Neil Young performed the other mm-hmm. song from Philadelphia, which is just called Philadelphia. Janet Jackson performed again from poetic justice, Dolly Parton and James Ingram performed the day I fall in love. Um, Keith Carradine performed a wink and a smile from sleepless in Seattle, which I imagine was, huh? I don't know who was on the sleepless in Seattle uh, soundtrack. Huh. I imagine it's not Keith Carradine, but maybe that's the exception. And then the thing I totally forgot um, Bernadette Peters performed Putting It Together from Sunday in the Park with George during the opening number of the 1993 Oscars? Why not? I want to find Ooh. that. I want to track that down. Getting the writers to rewrite it. Getting my cameraman to it. Hiring designers to design it. Editors to tighten and refine it. Carpeted stations to construct it. Certified accountants to deduct it. Technical magicians to enhance it. And of course the money to finance it. Anything else from this issue before we move on to the Pelican Brief of uh, I mean,
2: another movie that could, I, you understand, it's interesting reading how the piano was positioned and of course like you brought up the, uh, the straight white, able-bodied male perspective of a lot of this issue, but um it's this kind of thing where they're selling it really hard, but there is an interview with Jane Campion done by Ann Thompson in this issue.
1: Yes, yeah. It's Next to yeah. an A
2: review of the piano,
1: Ann Thompson and Jeff Wells both writing for EW in this particular issue feels like um, I don't know, like not a. I don't want to paint Ann Thompson with the dark cloud brush of Jeff Wells, but like I don't know, like I don't. It's 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 something. How would you describe that, Chris? How would you describe the feelings that that uh, instills in you?
2: Uh, at least Jeff Wells writing about the death of River Phoenix feels icky.
1: Yeah, I mean he's an icky he's an icky person.
2: What's interesting is he's mm-hmm. not on the masthead. I don't think.
1: No, I couldn't. I could not find him on the masthead. Um, Ann Thompson is on the masthead. Mark Harris obviously was majorly involved with uh, Entertainment Weekly at this time. Uh, Ty Burr is the other. A uh, film critic alongside Owen Gleiberman. Owen Gleiberman, by the way, who was even for Owen pretty fucking grumpy in this particular month of the year, giving uh, Ruby in Paradise a C plus, giving Tim Burton's The Nightmare Before Christmas a C. Oh yeah, like <laughs> at least he loved the piano. He did love the know? piano. Gave Fearless a B, which I guess isn't a bad grade, but like I think Peter Weir's Fearless is a fantastic movie um cool runnings the critical mass grid is
2: pretty wild
1: yes in terms of what was just in
2: theaters at the same exact time Mm. but you can tell this is the kind of lead up to the big holiday movie season because you have things like the beverly
1: hillbillies which i saw in theaters with my dad i remember watching (laughs) the beverly hillbillies i did too
2: (laughs) yeah yeah uh thanks Dad for uh, taking me to that. Fatal one. Instinct, the Fatal Attraction Basic Instinct spoof, spoof movie. Yep. I believe it was uh Jerry's Zucker Joint.
1: Yep. Yes. A movie that I often uh conflate with National Lampoon's Loaded Weapon 1, which was also uh, a spoof of movies from that uh-huh. era. Obviously slightly different genre spoof, but um yeah, flesh and bone got really decimated in a way that I don't remember that being the case. I feel like that movie, at least, is maybe remembered a little bit better. Or maybe just the Gwyneth Paltrow performance in that is remembered a little bit better. That was sort of that one where she became famous and people were like, you forget she had that small part in Flesh and Bone, which I did because I never saw that movie. <laughs>
2: there's a holiday shopping guide that gets way too much print space, which I really only included to just be like, can you fucking believe that we used to do holiday shopping guides? And like, it's almost like they try to make it this like comedy piece a little bit of like what you're gonna shop for random and cousins all videos. and such, but it takes up so much space in this issue. Schindler's List is gets
1: fifty words, and Holiday Shopping Guide gets three pages. It is uh, it's really something else.
0: I the joke about like buying your cousin a Playboy video <laughs> definitely gets more words than Schindler's List in the issue. <laughs> <laughs> it's like the whole feature is about vhs tapes to buy people you yes. know and it's what six six pages maybe just four pages or something still that's a lot of pages there
2: is one. one pages of just the actual print i didn't include the like the photo spread for it which is not <laughs> any of these products it's this weird kind of comedy attempt uh image but um of just random characters together right, that are supposed to be your weird family
1: they do mention a three VHS set of daytime's greatest weddings from ABC one each for <laughs> One Life to Live, General Hospital, and All My Children that apparently and wildly
2: it's under a section of things to buy for your cousin Joseph Reed <laughs>
1: <laughs> weird how they were so uh, forward thinking they apparently also they said each tape includes up to $5 in coupons for lysol products which good marketing wow, okay. there good for you lysol um uh i love i i love how the the soap part of soap operas because they were designed to sell like household products to housewives mm-hmm. never actually went away like procter and gamble owned those soaps until like some of those soaps until the day they were uh they were canceled <laughs> and like they were still just like that's what they were selling and uh and god bless them this was around the era where i was just actually starting to get into soaps, I had been watching the NBC soaps because mm-hmm. I like my grandma would watch them when she would take care of us, but like I moved into the ABC soaps around this time, and uh, uh, obviously it was never the same after that. So, um, <laughs> yeah, that was a the wild last thing.
2: thing. That definitely gets more words than Schindler's List and the issue. Is it closes with a retrospective of <laughs> Olivia and John's physical video? Yes, which is fun, but you can't imagine even five years later something like this being printed in EW.
1: Yeah, they stopped doing the... It was called Encore. Their issues would end with sort of flashbacks to a moment in time in pop culture. And apparently for this one, uh, Olivia Newton-John's physical, a number one hit despite, as they say in the subhead, being banned in Utah because of, uh, (laughs) I guess, being suggestive. So take that, Utah. Uh, it succeeded despite
2: you so yeah (laughs) any other last things on the EW issue Bobby as a guest I feel like we should ask you what your relationship with EW was I mean we're kind of the crazies but like do you have any issues you remember like the cover of or any specific relationship in terms of like your pop culture identity linked to EW
0: I do. My my parents got me a subscription to EW, I feel like it was when I turned 10, for either my birthday or Christmas, and uh, in a, a moment of, you know, sort of unacknowledged generosity, they never let it lapse. So I just, like, <laughs> kept getting Entertainment Weekly for years and years and years, like, from, I guess that was, like, 96 to probably when I graduated from high school. Um And I thought that was that was just great. So that was like the one that was like my magazine. And I assumed that they were paying for it because I certainly was not. And I just thought that was really cool. But in one of the first issues that I remember, that may have predated my subscription, that made me feel so insidery, and I've tried to find it. And I've, I've done this dig before, and I cannot find it. So that makes me think maybe it was premiere. I don't know. Hmm. But an early movie magazine that I had, and I'm 90% certain it's Entertainment Weekly. Just couldn't find the issue. It was a, uh, I can't tell you who was on the cover, but I can tell you a headline that was up at the top. So it was a story months after the release of Waterworld. And it was a line like box office, box office failures, box office uh, successes, and box office surprises. And the subhead under box office surprises said, and this is the only part I can quote verbatim, Waterworld did okay. And I've been like, <laughs> I think about that all the time. And like, I have this memory of reading that and, and thinking, cause I, I had wanted to see Waterworld so long. And I wanted, I wanted to see Waterworld very badly, but at that time I hadn't, I had to wait until it was out on VHS to see it. I like bought the movie tie-in little like children's novella. That was, you know, those little hundred of course, yes. I had that. Um, so I was really excited for any and all piece of Waterworld news. And I remember seeing that and thinking like, Oh, good. I'm happy for Waterworld. Like, I, I, I never saw it, <laughs> but I was very happy that Waterworld, quote, did okay. And I've tried to find that issue because I would love to, like, buy it and frame it. And every, every, like, few months or couple of years, I will, like, do a little eBay digging sure. and I have yet to find it. So if any of your listeners know the issue that says Waterworld did okay, please direct me to it because I'd love it. But yeah, that was, that was my relationship it was like the one, the one magazine that I read, the one. The yeah. one thing that I looked forward to in the mail, and you know, I, I it, you know, it was just it was special to have something like that.
1: That's one of those um, sort of 90s. like facts that that uh, people do tend to remind you of every once in a while. The idea that because Kevin Costner had the infamous two back to back flops with Waterworld and The Postman, and mm-hmm. Waterworld was the one that cost so much money, and there was a lot of bad press because of that, but it ended mm-hmm. up making a decent amount of money. Postman is the one that. Uh, also cost a lot of money and nobody saw and really made five money. dollars yeah yeah exactly exactly <laughs> kevin's gate <laughs> yes as many I god honestly good job by whoever that's whoever good that, that's, that's, that's good, good. Yeah. <laughs> that's really should good. we move on to the pelican let's <laughs> please yes all right all right listeners we
2: are here to talk about the pelican <laughs> brief directed and written by alan j pacula so Pakula? pacula, pacula I've heard both. I've
1: heard Pakula, but you know. Pakula. I don't know. I think
2: it's uh one of our finest one of our most underrated directors anyway <laughs> adapted from the john grisham novel we'll get into that the movie stars julia roberts denzel washington name two other movie stars you can't do it yeah. <laughs> uh sam Shepard, tony Goldwyn, john hurd anthony held john lithgow robert Culp, and baby cynthia nixon the movie opened wide december 17th 1993
1: the rare so... uh, John Hurd-Anthony Held double. You really... Uh, <laughs> you, not every movie has that, and and, and we did. I'll, I want to talk about, after obviously we do the plot description, the the character actor bonanza in this, because it, it, it is really something...
2: I mean, at this point, Tony Goldwyn is kind of a character actor. Ghost had already oh, yeah. happened, but, you know. Also,
1: you didn't uh, include, but Got obviously... character Ghost. Uh, Stan- <laughs> Stanley Tucci, Chris, you did leave out. Yeah.
2: Oh, yes, yeah, Stanley Tucci, of course. Silent uh, murderer, expert <laughs> at giving, you know, John Hurd's voice, um, And in
1: a special appearance credit that uh, comes right before and John Lithgow, a special appearance Hume by Hume Cronin. Hume Cronin, which is, I do love a, a, a an odd credit like that, so that's good. Bring back special appearance by... Exactly, and introducing. Come on, let's do it. Exactly. <laughs>
2: uh, Bobby, as our guest, you are tasked with giving a 60-second so plot description... <laughs> I okay. think you are the only person who could give a sixty-second plot description of this movie and do it full justice. So no pressure. Okay, I I
0: did some. I didn't. I didn't
2: rehearse enough last <laughs>
0: time, and I regretted it. So I told myself, if I ever get asked to do this again, I'm gonna like kick
2: ass. So I <laughs> I
0: really did. I really did try to get this down. So I I hope I I hope Excellent. I got. It. I hope I don't disappoint you too.
2: Alrighty, then if you are ready, <clears throat> your sixty-second plot description of the Pelican Brief starts now.
0: Stanley Tucci is a sexy assassin who kills two Supreme Court justices in a single evening. The president and his chief of staff are the Sultan of Agrabah and Jafar. Meanwhile, in New Orleans, a law student with amazing hair named Darby Shaw is impressing is impressing her professor Thomas Callahan in the classroom and in the bedroom. But after she gives Callahan a brief, she wrote detailing her theory as to why the justices were murdered. He blows up in a car bomb that was meant for her, too. The only people she can trust now are Cynthia Nixon and Kevin McAllister's dad. But Kamel kills Keller, Kevin McAllister's dad's. And, and assumes his identity via pillow and a red hat. In order to kill Darby, then bangs some unnamed assassin, kills Kamal, and leaves Darby covered in blood. And also, there seconds. are still more goons. More traumatized than ever, the only person she can trust is America's best journalist, Greg Grantham, a SCOTUS reporter who has been trying to figure out why Jake Weber keeps calling him. At this point, we finally figure out what the Pelican Brief says, <laughs> which is, essentially, an oil baron named Matisse did it. And that's why Jake Weber has been calling Gary, but oops, he's dead now. And Darby and Gary do a bunch of movie journalism and cosplay to get into a safety deposit box for the proof, but not before a goon accidentally crashes into his own car bomb. Then, Then Gary... Now that Gary and Darby have proof the CIA is like, I'm happy for you, though, or sorry that happened, they let Darby take the CIA jet anywhere and live in secret while the heat dies down, and once Gary becomes the most famous journalist in the country, he flirts with her live via satellite. The end.
2: Fantastic. fantastic. <sighs> I think that's the closest to 60 seconds that anybody's done. <laughs> that was a, a little over, right? In many a months on this show.
1: Okay, first <sighs> of all, okay. the Sultan of Agrabah and, and Jafar made me uh, fall out of my chair. That was fantastic. I... <laughs>
2: I I, tr- I stifle. I do
1: like at some point no, you I'm just there. sort of started calling him Gary instead of Gray, which also... Um, oh, God, it's Gray. Phenomenal. No, oh, my
0: God, it's because I actually wrote the wrong... I wrote it as Gary after the right Gray. That's so disrespectful to two of the best names ever written, Darby Shaw and Gray. Damn Graham.
1: autocorrect. You are disrespectful to, oh. uh, to, to Gray. Yeah, it, it, two fantastic movie names is absolutely right. Like... Mm-hmm. I love those do, names. Those names don't exist in nature, and we're happy that they exist uh, <laughs> on film. Bobby, uh, one of the things that you mentioned uh, that you added to our uh, outline when we talk about mm. what EW mentioned about the Pelican Brief was in their write-up, they call Darby Shaw, the character that Julia Roberts plays, a computer whiz. And that's why <laughs> she was able to figure this out. Categorically untrue. The whole point is it because yes, every
2: production still of this movie features was Julia the computer. Roberts? Out I of the think computer. so, and I think probably that's the trailer Chris, as well.
1: That was she's not a computer. That's what nerd. I thought too. She's just a no, law student, guys. It's just her law student uh, knowledge that's, uh, that that empowers her to do this. Anyone could do this, which I guess. You know, maybe this did give rise to the uh, armchair <laughs> conspiracy theorists. Between this and the Da Vinci Code, we're really—I uh, uh, don't know—we're re- really feeding into that uh, and whatever. But yeah, They're- she's not a computer whiz. She's just a law student with, uh, you know, a good way of of charming librarians and whatnot. So
0: right, she the tech whiz is Denzel Washington. I still don't know what he did with that phone number when he like when he types in some numbers after. Uh- Garcia calls and hangs up right. and then he just like types into numbers and goes gotcha and it's like i don't know what you did but you <laughs> okay, sold it okay <laughs> and yet
1: and i'm not going to be here like i don't want to nitpick everything from this movie because like obviously it's a 90s legal thriller there are ways to nitpick mm-hmm. the 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 facts of this but like <laughs> the fact that he's able to do that with Garcia's phone number right and yet it takes him to the second call with Darby to get her to tell him the name of the man who was killed in the car bomb, Thomas Callahan. How many car yeah. bombings happened in the United States in 1993 that Greg couldn't just like <laughs> search and like look around and find out when when a car bombing happened within the last few days. Like that is not I mean tough information. I don't know.
0: I think the Pelican Brief exists in a universe where car bombings happen. Yeah, well constantly.
1: that's true. In the Grisham universe, <laughs> like, I imagine that, that yes. Like I think there's a couple in every major yeah. city. The other, the other in this. the universe. other nitpick I have with this, and this goes to the heart of one of my favorite things about the movie, so this is not a complaint. I would not have wanted this changed. But at the end of the movie, when um the the Whatever Sunday morning news guy is talking to uh, Greg Grantham, and saying Mm -hmm. that people are saying that uh, Darby Shaw from this article is is somebody that you've just made up some people are saying much like Deep Throat that she doesn't exist. It's like Darby Shaw was registered as a student at Tulane guys. Like, Darby Shaw had people who knew her and were in class with her. They probably were all gossiping about her because she was sleeping with their law professor. Like, people know that Darby Shaw existed. What are you talking about? That's amazing to me. It leads to that fantastic line where he says, you know, Darby Shaw seems too good to be true. while well, she almost is. So like, I would hit. accept any degree of nonsense to get to that point, but nonsense <laughs> mm-hmm. it is, I will say. Like, does Darby <laughs> Shaw exist? Yes, motherfucker. No. Like, call the, the CIA. Get Cynthia Nixon on get- 60 Minutes. Exactly. Exactly.
0: The, yes. The CIA people got rid of her records. No, it, he she doesn't exist. She's hard to find. I I, I get it. The CIA they is killed to every hide her. one of
1: her class. Everyone I've told about Darby <laughs> yes. Shaw is dead. Yes. Um, <laughs> Cynthia Nixon as Alice, by the way, who is probably dead by the end of that because Julia Robert Darby puts her in so much danger. Oh, totally. She uses her name on a on a phone call that was probably being tapped. She meets her. At that laundromat, that is so easy for them to find her that that frat douche is able to like just follow her into a Bourbon Street bar slash laundromat. I don't know what you know that whole situation is. Like clearly, by he was a by the end of that movie. They have killed Cynthia Nixon off screen. Like, she is absolutely It did dead. make me think, like, they're not actually
2: that good of friends. This was just, like, an okay friend. She's like, this is a trustworthy person, but I know they would
1: kill my best friend. Well, I can't talk she's to She's the them. one who's gossiping about her sleeping with the law professor behind her back. So, yeah, probably. That's true. Yeah. 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 True. yeah. True. yeah. Can I, I love, just I mean, say why I
2: think Pelican Brief, is, and Joe, this will come as no surprise to you, why I think it is excellent cinema. Why? Because it is secretly friendship cinema. (laughs) That is true. It is about two people who become friends over the course (laughs) of the movie.
1: Although somewhat controversially so, because there was, I believe in the book, there is more of a romantic overtone to the characters. Bobby, correct me if I'm wrong.
0: The only John Grisham novel I've read is The Client. That was like a a pandemic activity. The Client's Um, a good book. Because I'd never seen the movie, and so I read the book, and then I watched the movie. But I love the... Pelican Brief ending so much that I went to Google Books. Thank God they had the final few pages on Google Books because I wanted to see how the book ends. And it ends with her explicitly in I believe the Caribbean, it names where she is. And um Gray visits her. Yeah. And it's explicitly romantic. And he says, I missed you. And she says, How long will you stay? And he says, I don't know, a couple of weeks, maybe a year. It's up to you. She says, how about a month? He says, I can do a month. And she says, let's take it a month at a time. And he says, perfect. Yeah. And that's how it ends. So it's like, what? they are in a in a romantic relationship or there's tension in and the And so book.
1: the controversy was, well, did the movie then remove that element because they were skittish about having an interracial romance at the center of their big popcorn legal thriller? Which I could also see Pakula just being like, it's better if it is friendship cinema. It's, so, and if we take out that element, is, but. No, this was a, this was
0: a Denzel. This was a Denzel. Uh, cut. Oh interesting. He, he spoke about this. There's like a, there was a, a Newsweek writer wrote a book like in the early 2000s or the mid aughts and in it, she tells the story that had never been told before where Denzel asked them to cut. There's a scene when they kiss and. He asked them to cut it because he had said, you know, my black women audiences are disrespected in American Ah. movies. And like my fan base is black women. So I don't want to kiss Julia Roberts because that would disrespect, you know, the people that have given me a career. And it was in um, God, I pulled up the I I, got to I got to send you where this came from. But um, yeah, he he spoke. He spoke to this once years later.
2: That's. And That's uh, really interesting. My idea All right, it. well, there we go. I yeah. mean, I think, I mean, like, this isn't what he is attempting, but I ultimately think he's right because it's much, it's a much more interesting dynamic if it's not a romantic relationship.
1: Oh, yeah. Well, we're very much now in an era where the prevailing sentiment from, you know, smarty film people who I follow on Twitter or whatever are like, put uh-huh. sex back in movies. Movies have become too desexualized. Why aren't whatever? And like, I am still on the other side of it being like, I do like friendship cinema. I do like when, Mm -hmm. cause I come, I grew up in an era where like romantic subplots were perfunctory and, and often like not worth it and often felt tacked on and often felt dumb. Mm -hmm. And so I appreciate a movie like The Pelican Brief where that. Doesn't they don't feel the need to add that element just because like people like romance or whatever?
2: And well, the only reason for Darby Shaw and Greg Grantham to fuck in this movie is because they're <laughs> in a movie, right? Yes, yeah, right. Yeah, it
0: would be a distraction if they in like in the context of this movie where they can barely stop to take a deep breath. If they kissed or fucked, they would get killed. Yes. Like there isn't time, right? They're running around parking
1: garages, you guys. On top of
2: if they decided to later have a romance as they do
1: in the book, (laughs) they would get killed. That woman with the ponytail bow and the ankle-length skirt is going to absolutely shoot them in that parking garage if they stop for even (laughs) one second. Um, Obviously, that woman, a girl boss legend of her time that she was making great strides in the male-dominated field of secret government assassins. Why aren't there more female assassins? Why are there not more female assassins? That woman uh, answers that question. That unnamed woman in the gray, incredibly gray uh, uh, skirt suit that she was wearing. So...
0: You expect a, you expected her to be like a, a triathlon or something. I was like you. I, I feel like you could. I feel like you could beat me in every single sport, or yes. like the average yes. person in every 100%, single sport.
1: Hundred percent true. She was so, she was the most intimidating yes.
0: person of that entire. You crew. do mention in your in your plot yeah. description,
1: Bobby. So many goons, and it is true. From all angles, there are goons coming after her. She the well, woman can't walk through a Bourbon Street parade <laughs> without being aggressed by several goons. Perhaps from like competing goons. interests. And I think that's what, like, it, it but it,
0: it's such a good, it's so Grishamy, and again, the only Grisham I know are the movies, but um, but it's so Grishamy to have the paranoia be cut yes. deep, where it's truly, people are coming at her from everywhere and she has no idea what to make of any yes. of it, so all she can do is She's hide. got the Matisse and goons like,
1: coming after her, she's got the CIA <laughs> the goons, goons who are kind of protecting her, but she doesn't know that. She's got the FBI the keeping tabs. To... Yeah. <laughs> Stanley Tucci's out there putting on... um The other thing I liked about Stanley Tucci, I mean, I like a million things about Stanley Tucci, is... The Tucci's loose is, in this movie. Truly, but going into uh the porno theater, he knows enough to put on the Freddie Mercury mustache, where it's just like, how will mm-hmm. I blend in with this crowd <laughs> well? Um uh, I will put on the requisite gay mustache, and it's like, yes.
0: My... <laughs> My favorite thing about the the gay porno theater scene is when he sits down and does this like completely gratuitous crotch grab. <laughs> like no yes. one's looking at you. This is just right. for Pekula this is just right for here. the like, camera. You're doing this for the camera. Where he sort of like clutches his thighs yep. before he
1: takes off the strangling yep. rope. Uh, ingeniously placed strangling <laughs> rope through his belt loops. Like that is that's actually really. He put it in his pocket. <laughs> could have been. Yeah, it could have come from whenever. Could
0: have put it in his pocket.
2: Listen, a murder weapon is nothing if not an accessory. <laughs>
1: <laughs> the, uh, uh, so uh. many things, though, about like, uh, so the assassination of the dad from Home Alone, which um, uh, mm-hmm. poor John heard in this, who like, poor John Hurd, who like, his relative tubbiness is made the point of several conversations and several uh, uh, plot, uh, plot elements in this, where he makes the self deprecating joke uh, when he's on the it's phone with Darby. And then Stanley Tucci has to put a pillow under his shirt to prox- approximately uh, imitate him, which is, uh, I'm going to say rude, almost as rude it's as being assassinated rude. to the strains of the ABC sitcom coach, which is how he oh my God, uh, yes. dies, which I... Um, I'm not blood. gonna be ashamed to say that I recognized that before they even showed it on television that I could hear. I'm like, what show is he watching? Why is that? And then I'm like, it's Craig T. Nelson, it's coach. Um and then mm-hmm. they did like the little like between scenes music, and I'm like, Yeah, it's definitely coach. Yeah. So
0: Jerry Van Dyke covered. Jerry in blood. Van Dyke
1: just <laughs> covered in John Hurd's blood <laughs> in this movie. But like this movie gives you Elements like that. Like, I also watched, after I watched the Pelican Brief, um, Outbreak was on television. Outbreak, a far, not as good movie, but also a very watchable movie. And Mm -hmm. Outbreak is another one of those movies that, like, you didn't need to give us this much, but I'm happy. They throw in so many (laughs) weird little subplots. There's the, like, third tier, um, military guy who Donald Sutherland berates throughout the whole thing, who then finally gets to arrest mm-hmm. him at the end. No need for that to be in there, and yet that's an element in there. Patrick Dempsey shows up with the dangly gay earring, um, and like, has a whole... He's patient 0 He's Is patient zero, and he's got a whole subplot <laughs> where he's like a rare animal smuggler dealer that he like pays off these guys off of these like steamer ships that come in from Asia Mm -hmm. and then sells them to just like pet shops or whatever. And that's how it happens. There's just there's just quite a bit of stuff happening in Outbreak. And I appreciate that. And like the Pelican Brief has that a little bit, too, where it just gives you these sort of moments of character stuff the fact that like you get that multiple scenes with Denzel Washington has his little white house informant who is the butler um not Forrest Whitaker mm-hmm. but like not not Forrest Whitaker uh, in the butler like perhaps a, a similar uh role ferreting out information I love those to scenes. gray and like their little coffee shop or whatever which is a great little um a great little touch it's also interesting that we see gray sort of operating within Washington. This movie is not explicitly about race at all. And yet multiple informants that he gets are also black people. And it feels like there is a, Oh, well, like these people know that gray is somebody that they can trust with, you know, telling sensitive information to. And like, that feels like at least something that Pakula has within his visual language of the movie, which I think is cool. Uh,
0: and I think and I love the the stuff with that, um, the, you know, the guy in the White House who is his source, because there's, there's at least one line of dialogue after that second meeting at the metro station, where I think it's Tony Goldwyn, it's one of the White House idiots, who's saying, Oh, this was leaked. Yeah. And they're like, it was probably this. And so it's like, just the line where it's like, he's so good at it that no one is even, no one is guessing where the source is coming from. That's how good Gray is. Yeah.
1: The other uh, little piece of ephemera that I really appreciated was the scene where Darby goes into that um, uh, rehab facility Mm. to talk to the guy who knew um, Jake Weber. And he's this like, super cute, like young, like incredibly hot. (laughs) And they have this very kind of like sort of sweetly flirty scene together where it could like conceivably be in another Julia Roberts movie, kind of like a meet cute. And he talks about like, I thought I was dreaming, but I wouldn't be that lucky to have that good of a dream. And like that kind of a thing. And it's just dorky and kind of sweet. And then he covers for her when the, the hospital administrator (laughs) thinks she's snooping and pretends she's his sister. And like, that's the kind of thing that like, That's what a two-hour and 15-minute movie gives you, like, time to, I guess, do that. Mm -hmm. But, like, Pakula makes the most of it and makes it feel, you know, lived in and quirky and specific. And I like that.
0: I I love that scene when Denzel is looking up at her and then he says, "It's it's a line that I've seen this movie. 25 times 30 times and i've never noticed how funny it is that denzel goes great architecture when he's talking to the administrator because he's (laughs) making eye contact with julia and can't let him know that like that got a laugh out of me this time
1: what were you
2: saying chris no i was just saying i was just piggybacking on your idea of like it's a movie that takes the time for those things but like at the same time this is a pretty breakneck paced movie that Mm -hmm. is like it's able to fit in a lot of like action and plot and still have the space for those character details which really don't feel like the movie connects into until Denzel Washington finally shows up in the movie Mm -hmm. like it feels a little bit more procedural rote until we get his character and we get those kind of character dynamics but then again it's also it suddenly the julia roberts sections of the movie it doesn't it takes denzel washington to show up for it to feel like a real star vehicle like watching the back half of this movie it's like they are the only movie stars in the world um i love the the detail that
0: feels very again i haven't read the book but this feels like something that they wanted to keep from the character in the novel the the fact that like Sam Shepard is an alcoholic yeah. and like really struggling yeah. with it is is done very well and subtly and it and it helps inform why she's like I'm not the 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 car bomb scene where she's just uh, like her reaction you can tell that she's questioning like why am I doing yeah. this why am I with this yeah. guy this is so irritating yeah. and and I love that it all comes from these little little gestures towards the fact that he is a problem drinker or an alcoholic and she's trying to get him to stop and he's not and she feels pity for him but she's also annoyed because she's 24 i also
1: (laughs) i also like the detail that grantham has a close relationship with justice rosenberg with hume cronin's character who he's a reporter Mm -hmm. for scotus but clearly there's a fondness there he likes I think he likes how much Rosenberg clearly doesn't like the president, and um, and is sort of old enough. There's a there's a uh, you know I didn't not think of RBG when they talked about like wow you're really old everybody's kind of just waiting for you to die huh and wondering on which side of the election you're gonna die so who gets to uh, who gets to make your replacement, um, but then we find out that Sam Shepard's character. Rosenberg was a mentor to him. He mentions like surrogate father, like that kind of thing. And part of Mm -hmm. the, a big part of the reason why Darby reaches out to Grantham in the first place is because Callahan sort of saw in Grantham like a kindred spirit or whatever. And, and I like that. It ties things together. It makes it feel less like just sort of an arbitrary thriller that's throwing elements together. Mm -hmm. Good movie, guys. A a a lush little
0: world. I, I love, and the, I'm looking through my my other notes, and there are like three more, four notes that I have that I love that I haven't gotten to all very quick. I can do them both Let's do in. it. Um, the plane scene at the end is about four minutes long, and there's a no dialogue, yes. and I love every yes. second of it. And sometimes I just turn on the Pelican Brief starting there. And they just look at each other. <laughs> I love watching <laughs> yeah. the end. Um, I love the scene when she's explaining the Pelican Brief, the titular, the the titular, titular brief. brief. And... <laughs> And she calls out all of the birds yes. that are being protected the in the space, and it's and like the... ospreys, <laughs> secrets, <laughs> yep. ducks, and geese, and pelicans. And I'm like, I love that Grisham just chose just chose yep. the one. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> like we're just going with pelicans. And speaking of birds, uh, I love the crane shots. <laughs> uh, sorry, the cr- the two iconic, like breathtaking crane shots in New Orleans when. She's like when it's showing how anxious she is, and she's on the middle of Bourbon yep. Street and just like overwhelmed. Yep. And it pulls up and it does the same music, and it plays the same music again in the next crane shot after Stanley Tucci gets shot. Yes, in the head. like watching I just the think crowd those scatter. Stunning. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Nineties
0: and yes. like it's 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 that it's that that production that feels impossible now, where it's like we're going to close off this big tourist center in New Orleans. We're going to hire hundreds of extras and put julia roberts in the center of them all and put in this huge crane and it's going to be amazing and it is and the last thing i just love the james horner score come on it's not just the like like you said piano falling down the stairs which is killing me but like he does this thing in most of his scores and i'm sure you know what i'm talking about that's like very much a trademark of his and it's like this it's like this, it's not the Hans Zimmer Blum, right. it's like a slow rolling chord yeah. that's like a soothing, like, broom. and he, and he yes. does it in all I can hear it, I can hear it, I can hear it, and every time I hear it, I'm just like, it's like serotonin, it's yeah. just like, yes. Did he do the <laughs> this score is for A Few sound. Good
1: Men? Because if he didn't, that's a score that also was employing uh, something like that. Wait, let me look this up, because... Um, Da, 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 da. i don't know if off the top yeah, of my head I'm looking no. it up. I, I um it no that's shaman familiar, okay so like but oh, shaman's similar? doing yeah. this, a similar sort of uh, uh horner thing yes right. um yeah really fantastic i love the lengths to which this movie tends to be about what do we have to do to julia roberts to make her not look like the most beautiful woman in the entire world where it's like <laughs> we put her in a baseball cap we put her in sort of a baggy uh, oversized shirt we eventually they
2: put her in the pretty woman vivian wig but they dyed, but it, they brown. dyed it
1: brown yeah. um they have to put her in she's got to put her hair in braids and wear weird glasses and again oversized shirts to beat the band and anything, and even still, like, again, that frat douche or whatever ends up, like, serenading her in the middle of Bourbon Street, obviously as a tactical maneuver. But, like, clearly, this woman cannot escape the fact that she is, like, preternaturally beautiful, and and people are always going to notice her because of that. So, she also mm-hmm. has, speaking of uh, the the Vivian outfit, the the business... Business outfit she puts into when she goes to White and Blazevich to um, to investigate, oh, and that. they're like uh, the person you have the meeting with. <laughs> um uh, is has died he died of a mugging and she sort of realizes what's happened and has to get out of there but she still has to portray this facade of like uh-huh. business bitch and she's just like I've never been treated so disrespectfully in my entire yeah. life and I'm leaving um phenomenal scene just and then immediately scene.
2: starts I, sobbing in the car
0: <laughs> and speaking of details that she has great outfits. It's like, where did she get this like yes. beautiful, expensive looking business yes. suit? And that's explained away too because she tells Cynthia Nixon that her dad left her a lot of money. And like we don't
1: really have to know what that means. It but... explains why she like can so easily just like leave the country at the end of it. It's yeah. just like she doesn't really have any ties. She's rich. Yeah, she's rich and she doesn't have any ties. <laughs> um I love that the director of the FBI is played by Doogie Hauser's dad, um, from Doogie Hauser yes. MD. Um the only thing i recognize the only thing and yep. i always confuse him a little bit uh with um the dad from a christmas story and i know they're not the same guy but they sort of project a little bit <laughs> of the same vibe um who else oh can we talk about tony Goldwyn, who at this point ghost oh. had only been villain extraordinaire and a very particular type of sniveling sort of henchman-like villain in a suit who right he's wearing a suit and he's brooks sleazy and he's oily and he's and god robert culp is the doofiest guy as the president like i don't know whether this was <laughs> a shot at george hw bush or whatever but like and it kind of was because he's playing with the dog in like several scenes and like obviously there was all that yeah. about like george hw bush had the dog um and 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 Goldwyn is just so easily sort of manipulating him and going to hide in his like uh, techno bank of, of recording right. uh, uh, instrumentation or whatever. Uh, just what a sleaze! What an absolute, perfectly cast uh, sleazy guy in this. And I mean, it's yeah,
0: it's two it's two perfect sleazy guy roles in a row for and, him. Like yeah. uh, and it's he's so good and anthony
1: held coming off of the silence of the lamb so like you immediately know to not trust that guy and
2: the sleaziest man in cinema and apparently anthony held was supposed to be a lovely man but just excellent at playing a just nasty man for three scenes and then
1: the note about there's a go ahead
2: bobby Oh, oh, no! Go. Well, on, I was going
1: go to say on. the thing I I, was, I always mentioned about Sam Shepard in this movie is obviously he and Julia's characters were lovers in this, and then were father and yeah, daughter. Actually he's her dad in August Osage County. <laughs> yes, exactly. No scenes mm-hmm. together, but right, but still. still, yes. What? So, anyway, Bobby, I interrupted
0: you. Oh, it's it's sort of a nothing. But when you said the science of the Lambs because of Anthony, mm-hmm. it reminded me of at the end of this movie. There's a couple. There are a couple specific shots that remind me of The science of the Lambs every time I watch it. And it's not just because it's <laughs> early 90s, but it's like it's the end when Julia – it's like the star poweriest shot. And it's Julia and um, Denzel are watching the video that um, Jake yes. Weber, that Garcia left yes. for them and they're just looking straight into the camera stone faced yes. and it's very it's very Jonathan Demme's Silence of the yeah. Lambs in a way that like feels i don't know it 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 feels directly inspired by it like it's it's very mm-hmm. unnerving and intense and i just love and it but it again it just feels very 1993 well, you know in a way that i just kills It's me. also
1: and it you know maybe goes without saying but i i can't not bring it up which is Watching the plot of this movie unfold from a 2022 perspective is is, uh, interesting slash uh, sobering from a lot of different perspectives. Obviously, the very opening shot where it's like, people be protesting, which was kind of this <laughs> right. sense of things of the early 90s, which was everybody's got something they're going to protest. And whether it's abortion mm. or guns or the death penalty or something, everybody's got some bee in their bonnet about whatever. Um, but this idea that wa- that, uh, you know, one would want to sort of manipulate the Supreme Court. And, um, I'm not going to say anything further about that, but, um, also things like the idea that a president's uh, reelection campaign would be absolutely deep sixed by a donor of his committing a crime. And like, I know that like nothing has ever happened in the real world, like two Supreme Court justices getting murdered on the same night. But 20 <laughs> by this point in the history of this country, I've really gotten beaten down by the sense that any kind of scandal would take down anybody for any reason. Where literally the thought in my head was just like, yeah, but like the people in his party would just like, not get rid of them. And so like, what, what's yeah, your yeah, problem, Robert Culp? Right. Like, to just, you know, run for re-election and, and let the chips fall where they may. Nobody resigns anymore. Nobody, like, you know, has shame about anything anymore. So, like, go for it. Go, do your thing.
0: Can you believe the president had two Supreme Court justices killed this week? <laughs> wow. <laughs> okay.
2: One of them in a porn huh. theater?
0: That's a new one. God. My my favorite, one of my fa- other favorite things about this movie, I don't know why I'm thinking about it, is Matisse every time you see denzel write, first of all i love i love a glimpse into yep. like this i thing know exactly feels, what you're gonna talk about uh, yep yep it well it feels t- the handwriting first which yep. is just like to see a, a famous person's like someone as famous as denzel washington write yep. something yeah. feels extremely intimate because it doesn't feel like the sort of thing that you can sort of switch yeah. for a character yeah. and so that just felt very uh personal and uh kind of intense for me and you don't really see it much yes. in movies but when he knows exactly how to spell matisse kind of and he has to he has to it, fix it which is sort of like was he doing it as denzel like fuck i misspelled matisse right. because it's not spelled like the artist or is this a character move where i'm trying to remember how to spell this like really rich guy this famously rich guy's name and so i was just like wow what a good detail i'm glad they left that also
1: in. kind know? of a like Kind of a flex from John Grisham being like, I'm going to throw in an extra vowel into Matisse just because I fucking can. <laughs> like, it's not going to sound like there's an E lie. there at the end, an extra E there at the end. But you know what's there? And it's because I'm writing the book and you're not. So fuck you. I like, mean, speaking gonna of be vowels, a bear, and a voice.
2: If you want to hear two stars say the word Matisse no less than a thousand times in a movie, yep. you want it to be Denzel Washington and Julia yes. Roberts. Just the, the, the timbre of like those perfect syllables. Matisse. It's like yes. it's cellar door. It is kind of it. Victor yeah. Matisse is kind yeah. of the cellar
1: door of nineties thrillers. Yeah. You're totally right. I mean, as is Darby Shaw and Gray Grantham. Like Bobby, you totally you nailed it with those. Yes. Director Voiles, Gavin Verheek. Like it's just you know, it's it's home runs left and right in terms of character names. What is uh, Fletcher mm-hmm. Cole is is uh, Tony Goldwyn's character's name, which like spelled like like, like the, what you dig middle. out of a mountain. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah yeah, 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 exactly. Which is so yep. funny. <laughs> again, Grisham just like oh my God. flexing uh, all over the place. It's amazing. Yeah. Um, I like that there is a scene. God, talk about again, just like a film that like takes pleasure in itself in a way where it's like we're just going to have a scene at mount vernon we're just going to put denzel washington and john Lithgow just like walking around mount vernon talking about you know the pelican <laughs> brief and it's fantastic it's so good well also
0: just the the showcase of what it meant in terms of salary when you were a journalist yes. in the early 90s yes. where it's like denzel has two houses and a cabin he's Uh, Yeah, yeah, a cabin and a house, he can just expense whatever the fuck Mm -hmm. he wants, and the worst he'll get is, like, not even a slap on the wrist, just, like, a groan or a snarky comment from his boss. Right. That's all. I also
1: love how Lithgow's character multiple times refers to Darby Shaw as the bird girl. (laughs) (laughs) You got the bird girl? Is she there? Is she coming? Yeah. Um, I liked how, wait, why did I write this down? My notes say Darby Shaw said gay rights. Why did I put that? Um... Um she said Oh, it's in the law class. It's at the very her first, very first scene when they're debating uh privacy law with regard to mm-hmm. uh sodomy laws and why sodomy laws wouldn't be constitutional, yeah. and she's arguing that you know the court is wrong for ruling against it or whatever. So uh yeah, Darby Shaw in nineteen ninety-three said wrong. gay rights. So good good for all of us. She's the she's the I I watched The Rainmaker for the first uh-huh. time
0: a, a, about a uh-huh. year ago, and I, I I think I've seen every john grisham but um the chamber yeah you're not missing much but, with the chamber yeah. yeah yeah i feel like i don't need to watch it but uh, and i actually just rewatched runaway jury for the first time in years and years and years a few nights ago because i thought what the hell i'm gonna be on this at oscar bus talking about the pelican brief but the rainmaker is f- fun for me I-, I i loved it yeah i did not know why i hadn't seen it before i loved it the but, rainmaker
1: um, has pretty much all of grisham's little peccadillos it's memphis it's yeah. um sort of a young lawyer trying idealism. to break in it's idealism <laughs> yeah. it's a lawsuit against a big corporation who will do anything to um to keep itself uh, viable it's you know the specificity really cynical of, very cynical the specificity of the courtroom and being these sort of like parochial courtroom settings or whatever um which you get a lot in the client and in um uh, even Runaway Jury and stuff like that. No, it's it's really fantastic. Yeah, uh, the I just like when he writes. Uh, I like when he's
0: cynical about the law. Yeah, where it's just like those early scenes of Julia Roberts being like, "I'm this whip smart future attorney," and yeah, Callahan knows it, and Callahan, you can tell, feels so bad for her because yeah. he's like, "This is going to ruin you. Yeah. You're too good for this." Yeah, and she realizes that by the end too. And I, I like I like that mode. For for Grisham, which I, he's in in most of the movies at least, but like that's the that's the vibe that I enjoy most, even more so than like the court victories, right? You know. Mm-hmm.
1: So uh, Grisham, the Grisham of it all, is very interesting. Obviously, um, obviously, A Time to Kill is his first novel. It does not get made into a movie until 1996. But The Firm, which is the one that broke him through. Gets published in 1991, The Pelican Brief 92, The Client 93. It's like every year he becomes like a Stephen King, like factory essentially, where like every year The Chamber 94, Rainmaker 95, Runaway Jury 96, and on and on and on. But so the firm publishes in 1991. It's on every, you know, everybody's coffee table. It's in every airport. Mm-hmm. It's just, you know, library waiting lists must have been forever. And within two years, it's on a, a big screen with Tom Cruise in it, summer 1993. And then Pelican Brief is an even quicker turnaround, publishes in 92. By the end of 93, it's on a screen. So they, Hollywood jumped on this guy real quick. And it's just fascinating to me that like they didn't even wait for 93, 94 to put Pelican Brief out. They're just like, nope. Yeah. Two, two Grisham movies in the same year. <laughs> the firm was, I think a bigger success is a book than a film, but the film still did really well. Obviously Holly Hunter gets that surprise Oscar nomination yeah. for it. And the
2: score nomination.
1: And the score nomination. Um, and obviously like these are all going to major directors. Sidney Pollock directs The Firm. Alan Pakula, The Pelican Brief. Joel Schumacher directs The Client. Um, and Schumacher directed A Time to Kill as well. Am I wrong? Mm-hmm. Yes. yes. Yeah. So... Um, You know, it's uh, Rob Reiner directed uh, The Rainmaker. And so... Uh, Coppola. Or what did I say, Rob Reiner? Yes, of course, Francis Ford Coppola. Yes. Um, Anyway, this is the height of uh, John Grisham popularity. And and the Firm and Pelican Brief back-to-back, I think, are really showcasing that in a really big way. I watched the Siskel and Ebert uh, episode for The Pelican Brief... Ebert gave it like a conditional thumbs up. Siskel gave it a thumbs down. They both were both pretty negative on Grisham by this point. I think the sort of middle brownness of the Grisham novel as a thing had rankled critics at the time who mm-hmm. thought it was, you know, formulaic or whatever. Again, they were in the thick of it. They didn't know what an endangered species, speaking of the pelican and the osprey, you know, whatever, uh, what an endangered species this genre would end up being and oh. now we look back on it and be like we didn't know how good we had it literally we didn't know how good oh, yeah. we had it because people were sort of looking the gift horse of the pelican brief in the it's it's uh wide build uh, mouth or i mean like they're probably eye rolling you know the
2: ur- earnest genre-iness of that time and of course this genre was much more popularized at the time too so it's like it, yes. it might feel like you know time has just done right by this movie but you know not realizing as critics that those things that they're judging it negatively for are the things that are good about it you know that, yes yeah you know that make it an interesting entertainment and I don't know. I suppose the the small details get lost in the way. I was really surprised to see that this is still a Rotten Movie on Rotten Tomatoes. That is Not surprising. that Rotten Tomatoes matters, but Yes,
1: it is surprising.
0: Watch watching it I don't I see the cracks but like I just think it's yes, it's one of my favorite movies ever, for sure. Yes. I understand that, but like <laughs> when I I try to watch this as objectively as I possibly can and like it's a very well made movie. Yes. It's a good yeah. movie. And I think that I mean, I, I defy a lot of people to watch it with an open mind in twenty twenty two and not have a good ass time. You know, it's 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 really special.
1: I think, I think in general. Even compared to the firm. I think in general, yeah, I think it is a better movie than the firm. Although the firm I find incredibly watchable and and Oh totally. This um, is probably the best it's sillier, movie. It's sillier though,
2: I think safely.
1: I think so, although again, I think both the client and the firm I have really, really uh big soft spots for. The client I watched so often as a kid. I know that movie very, very well. I I just watched it a ton. And um so that one probably is maybe my favorite in like my heart, but yeah, I would say Pelican Brief is probably the best made of all of them.
2: Um And it's probably because Pakula is What he is good at as a filmmaker is appropriate for this movie, the kind of paranoia that a lot of his work has focused on, the kind of shoe leather journalism Mm -hmm. side of it. But, like, it's not on the level of All the President's Men or even Parallax View or Clute, but... You know, you still see it in that same type of filmmaker. He, yep. he, the things that keep this movie as entertaining as it is, you know, are right step in line with his best movies. Yeah,
0: I think that he's just. I think he's a great. I, I know he he died not long after this, but like he, as much as I I like the client too, I like the firm a lot, and I, as I said, I I love the Rainmaker, but like I feel like John Grisham and Alan Pakula as like a, a writing duo makes so much sense like Mm -hmm. the the fact that he adapted this himself i think is one of the things that makes it as good as it is more so than even the the directing and more so than the stars like he he completely understood what made that book such a nail-biter yeah i think
1: also Mm -hmm. not to linger on it because it's morbid but did we know that alan pakula died like somewhat final destination style like no was driving I know on... that
2: he died i think shortly after the devil's own yeah
1: 1998 november of 1998 was driving on the long island expressway oh, no. when a driver in front of him struck a metal pipe causing it to crash <laughs> through pakula's windshield striking him in the head his car swerved oh, off geez. the road into a fence no yes like i'm always nervous about that kind of thing and for good reason now I oh
0: like. my god yes so That is so scary. Yes,
1: agreed. <laughs> um, yes, The Devil's Zone, which was on our listeners' choice options for what we were going to do for our next week and did not win, mm-hmm. even though I voted for it because I would love to talk about it. It would have been back-to-back <laughs> Pakulas, but um, uh, I would love to talk about – I mean – Bobby, you are I'll a veteran. Back to back, Julia, though. You are a veteran of our Brad Pitt doing sketchy accents uh, episodes. <laughs> oh my God, not Brad Pitt in the, De- the devil Zone. Oh my God, <laughs> you have. Of course, we've already done. Give me done the patois, please. The patois. Of <laughs> Meet Joe Black. Uh, uh, yes, exactly. Yeah. What would you? What would you rather? The Irish I... accent in the Devil Zone or the patois from Meet Joe Black?
0: <laughs> oh my God, both are so horrible for completely different reasons, yes. and I, I, I think I just. I abstain. <laughs> I, abstain. I, can't, <laughs> I, can't, I can't pick I can't pick which one I'd rather hear, honestly.
1: Um I, uh. I'd like to detour into Julia Roberts' talk for a second because Perfect time. As we've mentioned, this comes at an incredibly interesting slash somewhat fraught period for her career. Obviously, the press from the Uh, abandoned wedding to Kiefer Sutherland in 91. She runs Mm -hmm. away with Jason Patrick, then surprise marries Lyle Lovett, which, as much as you want to look back and sort of wag a finger at the pop culture press at the time for making such a big deal of this glamorous movie star marrying somebody who, the joke was like, yeah, but he looks like Lyle Lovett. You know what I mean? Like That was kind of the (laughs) incredulous thing that everybody was talking about. And yet, even from Decades later, I look back in that, and I'm like, that's so weird. It's It's been 30 years weird. almost, and it's still so weird that Julia Roberts married Lyle Lovett. Mm-hmm. I don't know.
0: It's really weird. I, I was know. listening to, but you will, if you listen to, I'd never really listened to Lyle Lovett's music until recently when I was like, why have it that's a blind spot. Yeah, And I was listening to an album from around that time, and part, I won't say I fully get it. But one of the thoughts I had was, I kind of get it, Julia. Yeah. Because it's 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 sexy, it's fun. There's like real charisma there, and I'd never really paid attention to him as a singer. I just knew that he was one, and I was like, I totally like. Even though it's Lyle Lovett, it's still musician, and there I think will always be something alluring about that. Yeah. But like, just. It is it's a it's a wild match. I think I think that is <laughs> on, true on the, the
1: musician thing makes a lot of sense though because in a lot of those sort of odd couple relationships among actors in Hollywood the actor and musician matchups like are the ones that often seem incongruous and there is probably yeah. just like something ephemeral about the appeal of a musician that you know I'll go with I'll go with that that's mm-hmm. you know I'll sign on. To I that. need the chicken and
2: egg thing of them getting together, them being in Robert Altman movies. Like, <laughs> do we have Robert Altman to blame for them getting together, whether or not they met on an Altman set or through connections somehow? Was
1: it on the set of the player that they met?
2: Maybe. It seems conceivable, right? Yeah. Or it seems conceivable Could, yeah. that, uh, you know, Lyle Lovett was like, Hey, Bob, I am dating Julia Roberts. She is great. Put her in your movies.
1: Here's, okay, here's they my did, question that I'll they put They met here. on the
2: set of The Player, yeah.
1: Okay, there we go. Wow. Julia Roberts wow. being briefly married to Lyle Lovett, or Cameron Diaz still being married to Benji Madden. What's the weirder to you? Cameron Diaz still <laughs> being married to Benji Madden. I agree, no I, agree. I agree with that as well. They've, They've been can, married for s- Cameron Diaz marrying Benji Madden. They have of course. Yeah, they're like going on. I think they have one child. Um, it still surprises me. I still have to go back to Wikipedia as I just did and double check and make sure that that's still the case. Um, yeah. good for them. Fantastic for them. <laughs> Thrilled
0: for them. So this came after y- y- you were talking about. Um, I'd never really thought about it until you sent over your um like show prep doc but it was like it kind of came i know that it came after the the all the stuff with keifer sutherland but it wasn't until like i said the show doc that i was looking at her filmography and like yeah. it's it's weird it is a, it's a slump right before this and i'd never really acknowledged that well it's, like it's hook had all that weird yeah controversy around it where she that was a fraught shooting film filming for her dying young was a huge flop wasn't it it was like a punchline I always think of a Golden Girls joke about time.
1: Yeah, and Hook is Hook, especially, for a movie that did not get reviewed very well, she especially was seen as a particularly ill-fitting, uh, unsuccessful element of that movie. Mm-hmm. And yeah. then... Well,
2: and she stops working for a while. Right. The only thing is her cameo as herself in The Player. It's two and years.
1: It's two full years two from Hook to The Pelican. Two
2: years, which is not a long time. Like, we just talked about Jodie Foster taking big breaks and some of her breaks were longer than that and they're like 3 or 4 years but was, like people treated her like she died this is the there's, thing she's on uh, when the you're cover everywhere. of people magazine constantly with the with the relationship stuff there's one that's whatever happened to Julia Roberts where <laughs> the cover it looks so grave, like she died or disappeared, like she's John Binet or something, and they literally refer to her as a missing person.
1: Oh, it's harsh. It's and i I've, I've written about this before, about how Julia Roberts's career, in particular, has been subject to this kind of hyper dramatic way that the press writes about her. She's had comebacks, quote unquote comebacks so often that are from not these like not very long intervals. So right after the Pelican brief, I Love Trouble, Predaporte, which is not uh, very well received, even though Chris and I both really enjoyed talking about that movie. <laughs> um in this issue they refer to her role in Porte as a
2: cameo and it is not a cameo.
1: Um and then so <laughs> not in it that much, but Right. Not no, a cameo. she's if you could call anybody leads in that movie, it's her and Tim Robbins. Like, that's the closest you're going to get to actual leads in *Predator*. porte Um, Something to talk about is well-received, but not enough to counteract what would happen after, which is back to back to back, Mary <sighs> Riley, Michael, Mary yeah, right, Riley. Mary Riley, uh, <laughs> Michael Collins, Michael Collins, no. Um, uh, and everyone says, I love you, which is like, uh, no, no, no. Like America rejects all three of those. And <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> um, so by the time my best friend's wedding happens in 1997, that movie and the success of that movie is hailed as a giant comeback. And it's like, from not being away that long from not being like, you know, that's, that's a very relatively short slump when you talk about mm-hmm. slumps, but people were talking like she had just returned from a like 20 year sabbatical in the desert or whatever. There's a quote that I, uh, I wrote about this when, uh, when Julia was starting in homecoming about how she is the queen of comebacks that didn't need to be called comebacks. And there's this one um, quote that I pulled from, I believe it's a people article that, uh, Was She was at the Show West convention uh, right before My Best Friend's Wedding came out, and she's Mm. quoted as saying in this press conference, I guess, she says, My hair is a lovely shade of red and very long and curly the way you guys like it. For the love of God, please see this movie. And that was kind of and like props to her for like making a joke about it. But also like that was kind of the thing was just like people were so angry at her for abandoning, quote unquote, the rom-com genre because they loved her so much and pretty woman and really wanted to, uh, you know, uh, keep her in that box. And the only other rom-com she made between Pretty Woman and My Best Friend's Wedding is I Love Trouble and everybody hated that. So much. Mm-hmm. I guess something to talk about is technically.
2: Uh, I mean, it's, it's probably a more romantic drama. Right. I mean, I would also say props to her for doing this romantic comedy finger quotes comeback and playing this caustic character. That's one exactly. That it's it. Like this comeback even came with a qualifier that like it was a huge hit, but like people talked. Or at least in my experience, talks so much shit about yeah. her in that movie because she's finger quotes unlikable. I like that she's um, like,
1: I'll do your romantic comedy thing, I'll dance for you, but I'm, but I'm going to make you asshole. work for I'm it to asshole. like this yeah. character. And My Best Friend's Wedding is a better movie because she is a quote-unquote unlikable it's heroine. It's a romantic that
2: comedy that's actually relatable because it's- she is where
0: they had to i mean i'm still sh- every some every once in a while i will watch the original ending of my best friend's wedding on youtube just because it's so shocking yeah and it's like she's so she's such an asshole where audiences were like she cannot have love at the right. end of this we movie. cannot allow she, her you will not give her a meet cute <laughs> you will give her her gay best friend and that is it
1: and it's a we better ending for them. that which sucks i yeah. hate yep. to like because those audiences um were too mean about that and whatever and well
2: they were wrong about the way that they were right
1: right yeah, yeah thank you yep. that's that's a good way of putting it um also in 97 conspiracy theory is a box office success she's got so this is a good run for her then through aaron Brockovich, which is conspiracy theory stepmom Notting hill runaway bride we'll obviously talk about Notting hill next week so i don't want to get too into those weeds but then like post aaron Brockovich there's you know this filmography gets a little spottier and once again we're in again that.
2: with the relationship stuff people thought that she'd you know grown a second head or something because she married someone who wasn't famous
1: right right exactly yeah. um and then she has movies that like are great movies that kind of flop i will forever ride for duplicity uh mm-hmm. for you know being so much better but like so then to the point where She makes Eat, Pray, Love in 2010, and once again, people are being like, Julia Roberts is back, back. finally, (laughs) it's a comeback, and I don't know, it's just, it's weird the way they talk about her, kind of constantly, and I imagine when this movie, Ticket to Paradise, comes out, and it's her and Clooney, um, well, it's Bobby, your friend, uh, Mm -hmm. Ole Parker, of course,
0: oh yeah i know don't, don't get me started on tickets to paradise <laughs>
1: uh i imagine i imagine you're incredibly excited i can't excited. i can't even think about it guys i, I can't even think about body, it bobby let's see it let's just like let's, yes please okay um
0: yes please
1: but i imagine and you know what i
0: you know what julia i love what? speaking of eat pray love yeah I, that movie just warms me i love turning that movie on i think that that's can i tell you
1: on. i've never seen it
0: Oh, you'd love it. I I will say, she is giving.
1: She is giving
2: more than I think that movie deserves. Mm -hmm. But she's really good in that movie. All right, Mm -hmm. I will see. I
0: think everyone is good in that movie, and that movie is that movie is extremely aware of what it is there, what it is here for, (laughs) and Uh like everyone is, and like it's just, it's just a romp. It's just, it's a globe-trotting, fluffy (laughs) uh, (laughs) Afghan. You know, like you just, you just curl up in it. I love it. But
1: I am willing to bet right now that there are going to be stories before Ticket to Paradise about how Julia Roberts comeback It's a Julia and George Clooney are together again. Like, it's a return to form. It's back to romantic comedies. It's whatever it is. That's going to be, I think, a big part of that film's marketing push. And Mm -hmm. it's, once again, Julia Roberts hasn't gone anywhere, right? She was in, she got an Oscar (laughs) nomination for August Osage County. She was uh emmy nominated for the normal heart she like wonder made so much more money than everybody even realizes like wonder made a ton of money she was ben was the one who was back and ben is back but she was also there um (laughs) she never went anywhere she she never went anywhere she hasn't gone anywhere ben went
2: somewhere
0: yes joe are you trying to tell us that we're all being gaslit
1: (laughs) perfect because i think that's your point i think that is my point um boy gaslit have you had either one of you watched any of gaslit not no. yet no.
0: i've seen that tweet with her on the phone about seven thousand. i mean times. the accent the is most very tweet in history the, the is accent Jennifer is very funny julia uh,
1: roberts on the phone once again julia roberts a georgia native we we all must remember that who has never been able to successfully really do a southern <laughs> accent in a movie it's one of life's great mysteries and um i don't know I'm happy to live in a world where such mysteries are, are capable. We can live in that wonder <laughs> forever. But yeah, Julia Roberts, a good actress, a great actress, mm-hmm. even if you will. Anything else? Anything else we want to throw in about... I mean, we could talk about Denzel Washington.
2: It's, yeah, we should. He's almost... I think he, it feels like he's more of the star of the movie. She's yeah. the star, but he has more to do. Um, This is just like... I, 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 he, there's a reason why I say he's our greatest living actor. You feel in such capable hands. You want him to do a, kind of a movie like this again. Yeah. Just because, I don't... There's something... Like, you're saying the warmth of watching Heath prey Love. I could watch him do this. Or even, like, what he does <laughs> in Philadelphia all day long. It's... it's it, this is, like not even peak Denzel as an actor but like peak Denzel as a movie star. Just I like getting out of that car, putting that hood
0: on, just like stomping to the payphone, I'm yeah. just like, "Yes, you just like kind of perk up. Like your your spine gets erect. You're just like, "I I'm sitting up straight. I need to see what Denzel's going to do." You're right. He's he's the he's the movie star of this movie because Julia's kind of you know, cowering and hunched over the whole time and nervous, yes, and Denzel's yes. doing... Denzel's carrying it.
2: For- and it's like this in Philadelphia coming out at the exact same time, where he's... I mean, he's still treated as a movie star, but probably eclipsed by his co-star, when in both movies, I actually think he has the harder job to do.
1: Yeah. Obviously, I have a ton of respect for Denzel Washington for constantly challenging himself and, you know... Uh, directing as well as starring in Fences, um, uh, obviously taking on the role of Macbeth very recently, doing, you know, very... projects that interest him and challenge him. Obviously, he's the kind of actor who can make any kind of movie he wants. And, And yet, part of me is like... And I mean maybe I'm like being like those people who just want Julia Roberts to do rom-coms again, where I'm just like, <laughs> make a nineties thriller again. Just do it. Like, you have the power. Like, make these things happen again. And I guess like he's, you know, movies you like have the Flight, power of
2: my daughter is Catherine.
1: <laughs> movies like Flight, I guess, are are not too far from that. And um But like there is, you know, Flight decides that it needs to be incredibly heavy uh to be to sort of right. argue for its own existence, essentially. And there's I something guess we're about... also
2: semi-arguing against the kind of movies that are like this, but they're action movies, you know, because we're not right. we're not talking about Safe House. We're not talking about the Equalizer.
1: That's the thing, is I don't... And maybe, and honestly, I can see where, like, Denzel Washington has a constituency that likes that him in that mode, right? Equalizer. Oh, yeah. I mean, uh, mm-hmm.
2: granted... I will watch him do that. It's just at this point, he's done a lot of that.
1: Right. Unstoppable, I think, is like a tremendously entertaining movie, right? Mm -hmm. Like, I don't really have anything against that. But, like, there is, and I guess Unstoppable is sort of what maybe I want. Because there is something about a movie like Crimson Tide that is completely unashamed of what it is and is willing to just be a popcorn movie about a, a nuclear sub right? And it's a nuclear sub in Crimson Tide, right? I'm not conflating that with The Hunt for Red October. Um, And and it still is just like, and I guess that's the sort of Bruckheimer of it, and is just like, it's unconcerned with the gravity of it. It's just going to be a good, fun time at the movies. And he's so good at that. He's so good (laughs) at doing that kind of thing. So it
2: also maybe feels like it hasn't been since training day which is 20 years old now yeah. of a that he's been in a role that is so in awe of his star persona just like mm. nakedly in awe of him mm. as a movie star um because it's like now you get the action stuff or you get the these character dramas and i want to see something like that i want to see him in a good movie that reveres him as much as something like that does or that like julia Roberts and aaron brockovich something like that i think inside man comes close yes i
0: think inside yes that's another movie that i watch a couple of times a year and i'm always impressed by him in it he is and that's kind of to go back to julia roberts in um my best friend's wedding denzel and inside man is is an asshole like denzel and inside man is a curmudgeon and he's a cop and it's he's a little hard to like but he's not hard to like because he's denzel washington and i and i think that that's a really like fun very we need denzel for this role like it feels like a big a-list movie star moment
1: well there was there was that era in the aughts where he was doing movies that seemed to have the potential to be uh the kind of movie we're talking about and yet like something like american gangster could have been a big movie star Denzel Washington, Russell Crowe kind of thing. And Ridley Scott, I think works against that intentionally mm-hmm. in a way that like makes it less um, bombastic in a way that I think he thinks is making it better. And maybe he is. I don't love American mm. gangster, but a lot of people do. Um, But I think there's a world in which that could have been. Um, it tra- could have been that training movie, day. You're right. Like you're saying. Yeah. Whereas, okay, here's a movie that I think Denzel as a performance is giving me exactly what I want in a movie that doesn't really isn't really built to be like a pelican brief kind of thing. But like Roman J. Israel, one of the reasons why I loved him so much in Roman J. Israel is that's Denzel just being a star, right? Like the whole incredible that movie just sort of hangs its hat on. Denzel Washington is a movie star who is going to be like absolutely magnetic, and the the movie itself is a little, um, a little little humble. It's not bad, but it's not, um, it doesn't match the bombast of him and. That's the kind of performance I will always welcome from Denzel. He was time.
0: nominated for that, right? Oh,
1: yeah, yeah. he was. Yes, oh, he, he was. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm the one who's like, I would have voted for that performance. Um, <laughs> no,
2: he's amazing in that movie. But you're right to point out that it's like it's more modest of a movie, yeah. than it could be given yeah. the level of performance he's in. I think that's one of his best performances. Yeah, he's great. Um, but yeah, we
0: love Denzel. We do. We love Denzel. Washington, Greatest Living Kind of feels like a Roman Roman does kind of feel like a a a, a mid nineties, late nineties movie. Mm. It's like a modest it. character. Like it has drama, it has that, he's that incredible. kind of vibe, yeah.
1: Yeah. Um, all right, I'm, now I'm gonna flip through my little notes and see if I have anything. I did like again, the the protesting scene at the beginning is very funny, just sort of like scanning on all of the all of the signs and whatnot. So and, depressing. Uh, where some of them are literally just like, it says like, guns, and then it'll have like a big gun or whatever, and it's 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 very, uh, whatever. Oh, um, not to bring up the porno theater again, the obviously <laughs> most important scene in this movie, because we talked about it 12 different times. Um, that movie, seeing this movie when I was like, a uh, just teenager, um, and then the JFK scene with um, uh, Tommy Lee Jones Kevin and Bacon. Joe Pesci and Kevin Bacon at the like weird costume orgy they're at where Mm -hmm. Oliver Stone films it as if he is like giving you a window into hell itself. And, Mm -hmm. and it's so traumatizing. And I remember both of those scenes really like sat with me for a while. And I was like, why am I thinking about these scenes so much? And why are they so um, frightening (laughs) to me (laughs) in a way where it's just like, Oh, right. Like, like gay shit is where like this, like really hellish stuff goes on. the gay shit is where like, you know, Supreme Court justices get uh, killed because uh, they have, uh, you know, they're indulging in a vice or whatever. And uh, so that definitely stuck with me for sure.
0: Yeah, the the gay stuff. And uh, that's a that's like, I love JFK as much as you do. I know you talk about how much you love JFK all the time, Joe. But like, I, I completely relate. That's a movie that I it's in that, you know, assortment of, you know, 10, 12 movies that I will just turn on. Yes. Pelican Brief is one of them as well. Yes. But um, I, the gay stuff, always makes me feel very weird for a movie that I really admire, and I I have to I try to excuse it by saying like well no he's trying to show that like this is the sort of thing that in 1964 you know would have ruffled a lot of people's feathers and made people feel really sick he's trying to like make you feel the way that people would have felt then but even when I try to like acknowledge that I hate. I hate the gay stuff in JFK. I, I hate that he makes them seem like they are monsters.
1: I I don't I don't think I yeah, the the scene in Pelican Brief I don't feel like is um is doing the work of of evil in the world. I do feel like the gay scene in JFK is 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 Definitely. really doing really really bad things uh, about it is. the world. Um uh. We, I mentioned the the scene where um, Gavin Verheek is assassinated to the strains of coach on ABC, but also <laughs> earlier Gavin Verheek is distracting his wife when all she wants to do is watch Regis and Kathy Lee. And genuinely, I love that there are two separate moments of uh, television happening in the, in the vicinity of this character. So yes. Yeah. What does she say? Like, I can't hear Kathy Lee or I something. can't hear Regis Sorry. and Kathy Lee. Like, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's great. It's so good. Um, I I watched the Seinfeld the other day where Kramer is on Regis and Kathy Lee selling his um, coffee table book about coffee tables. Mm -hmm. And the punchline of that is he takes a sip of his uh, coffee or whatever, his drink, and then he spit takes all over them. And watching, I'm, I'm always obsessed with watching people in cameos try to act in a scene. and. I will always love Kathy Lee Gifford in that scene where she gets spit on and she stands up and, and she's aghast and she, and it gets swallowed by the audience I laughter. I was just about to say, but it. She I think
0: that the audience swallows her good lines. It
1: swallows it because she goes, all over my Kathy Lee casuals. And it's so <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> funny. Oh, God. Anyway. It's so
0: depressing that the audience laughs over it because yeah. you really have to pay attention to what she's saying there. Yes.
1: Yeah. I would, the sound mixing could have maybe bailed her out. I don't know. I don't know. Um, but I love I'll, that just yeah. keeps saying, this guy's bonkos. This guy's bonkos. I told you, <laughs> this guy's bonkos. Yeah, it's great. <laughs> oh, Chris, we have to talk about the MTV Movie Awards. I- yes, that's what I was going to bring up okay, next. Okay, good.
2: Double nominee at the MTV Movie Awards. Julia Roberts is nominated for Best Female Performance alongside Meg Ryan in Sleepless in Seattle. Great pick. Demi Moore in Indecent Proposal. We are the great historians of the film, Indecent Proposal. Angela Bassett for What's Love Got to Do With It. They all lose to Janet Jackson for Poetic
1: Justice. Uh, Perhaps a little bit... Go ahead. Classic. um, So this is a best female performance. This is not desirable female. So, But, like, classic MTV at the moment. Obviously... Janet Jackson was MTV at that moment. So like her winning makes a ton of sense, but it's Mm -hmm. always really interesting to get that window into who the MTV demographic was aware of. And I love that like youth culture at the time (laughs) had an awareness of Demi Moore in in Indecent Proposal. (laughs) I will always remember the scene in the real world Los Angeles, which was the second scene where, they were just talking about. They would every once in a while they would have scenes where they would just like talk about like hot button sex issues or whatever. And they were talking about indecent proposal. And one of them sort of like calls up to the second level to Dominic about like we're talking about that movie where Robert Redford uh, offers um, or Demi Moore gets offered a million dollars to sleep with Robert Redford. And Dominic, before they're even done with the question, is like, "I'd do it in a second. This <laughs> <laughs> is very funny uh however denzel yes. was nominated for
2: most desirable male uh opposite tom cruise for the firm very john Grishmi uh you know hot stuff this year <laughs> yes jean-claude van damme for hard target val Why? kilmer for tombstone must have been the mustache they all lose to hilariously william baldwin for sliver
1: all right i have some so thoughts on weird. this first of all I remember watching this MTV Movie Awards and particularly this when they showed the clips for all of these. The clip for Jean-Claude Van Damme and Hard Target is the scene where he's just in a pair of short shorts in the kitchen and he jumps up and does a split across the two kitchen counters. So, like, if you were wondering why Jean-Claude Van Damme was nominated for Most Desirable Male in Hard Target, they really just, like, answer your question. he's killing
2: people basically naked.
1: They answer your question, like, as you're asking it. So, like, that's (laughs) really good. Um, William Baldwin in Sliver. I was really attracted to William Baldwin in Sliver. I'm so embarrassed to say. I was... And he's playing, like, a sexual, like, pervert creep in that one who, like, films people without their consent and is awful. Um, And I was so... Embarrassingly attracted to him, the 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 one here that really jumps out. I love Tombstone as much as anybody, perhaps even more. I loved that movie. Val a Kilmer, movie for dads. Val Kilmer is sweatily dying of tuberculosis through ninety <laughs> <90% laughs> percent of that movie. It's wild to me. I get that, like Val Kilmer was like you know, grandfathered in from other roles of his and the doors mm-hmm. or whatever about like people like Val Kilmer was a hot guy at the time. Batman was about mm-hmm. to happen, but like Val Kilmer in tombstone is not an attractive performance. He's,
2: an active but slow death. Happen. He's
1: coughing up plannier. just hunks of bloody tissue in that movie. Like that is not attractive. I'm sorry. That was in um. That was in the EW
0: issue. They talk about Tombstone. There's one story about Kurt Russell seeing it and throwing. A, I think they call it like he went ballistic. Yes, because he, he said, hated it. The he was like, "I've been acting since I was a kid, and this is the worst thing I've ever seen," or something like that. But there was another preview of Tombstone where they're they're questioning the movie's uh, potential for success because the men are too pretty.
1: <laughs> they're like <laughs> the men which are is, too good looking. Which is an indirect shot across the bow at both Billy Zane and Jason Priestley who are both in that movie and like <laughs> which like that's weirdly like a plot point in that movie it was like Jason Priestley is like the soft boy who's with the bad guys and mm-hmm. and then Billy Zane is the and they're both queer coded. This is the other thing. Tombstone has a fully like not very veiled like queer coded thing where Jason Priestley is attracted to Billy Zane, who is the actor in the acting troupe with Dana Delaney, who is like very flamboyant or whatever, and mm-hmm. he gets killed by the bad guys and and it causes Jason Priestley to disavow them and whatever because mm-hmm. he was clearly in love with this man um but anyway uh val Kilmer like fully steals that movie away from kurt russell kurt russell's good in it he's the lead guy but like everybody came away from that movie talking about how could how good val kilmer was in it and i wonder oh. if that was maybe part of why kurt russell was so mad watching it where's just like i thought this was my movie i'm wyatt Earp in this movie <laughs> and um i love that movie it's so good <laughs> but yes william baldwin clearly <laughs> uh forever and ever i hate that in... i forget
2: the quote and i've been racking my brain uh trying to remember it but in sharon stone's book she in one of the episodes where she's talked about men being gross to her she talks yeah. about a producer on the movie who was being gross to her but then talking about her male co-star about it and how like terrible the male co-star was and i'm positive it's supposed to be uh, William Baldwin. That there. would make sense. <laughs> Got
1: to be. Sharon Gotta Stone be. had won most desirable female the year before for basic instinct in 92. And when she won, she goes up to the stage and says uh, she just she sort of like leans you into the desire mic me. and goes you desire me, you really <laughs> desire me. Um which I will always remember. And then most desirable male that year was Christian Slater for Untamed Heart, which <laughs> where he has
2: a monkey never heart and one. goes he has
1: crazy, has a baboon's heart and dies. And yes, um, I imagine Bobby, if you had seen Untamed Heart when you were a young person, <laughs> you would have probably like watched it several times. Like it's one of the like it's Marissa Tomei. Of course, you're gonna watch Untamed Heart. Yeah, I, I
0: there's I, I've also never seen Sliver, so it's you know they, this is these are a couple of blind the spots. There you go. I've been meaning to watch Sliver for about. since the start of the pandemic and it just keeps almost happening and then not happening it's
1: really it's it's grimy but in a way that Mm -hmm. like if you if you slot it into the sort of sex thrillers of its era it was from the same era as like there was a while there where i was writing about a lot of these for decider actually i wrote about sliver i wrote about body of evidence uh, i wrote about indecent proposal all released within the same within like two years of each other and uh yeah it was a time (laughs) should we move on to the imdb game yes joe why don't you
2: tell us what the imdb game is
1: sure every week we end our episodes with the imdb game where we challenge each other with an actor or actress and try and guess the top four titles that imdb says they are most known for if any of those titles are television voice only performances or non-acting credits we mention that up front after two wrong guesses we get the remaining titles release years as a clue and if that's not enough it just becomes a free for all of hints that's the IMGB game.
2: Sure. Bobby, is. you are a guest, so you Ooh. get to decide if you want to give or guess first, and then who you are going to be giving to and guessing from. Um, I'll give first
0: because I I I'll give first. Yeah. Okay. Um and uh I'll give to you, Chris. Okay. Okay. Who do you have for me? I have one <laughs> I have Miranda Hobbs herself, Cynthia Nixon.
1: <laughs> Amazing.
0: Um I was I was I really wanted to claim this. When you sent the Excel sheet, I was like, I don't think I remember you ever doing Cynthia Nixon, but she always pops up sometimes. So when I control F'd her, I was like crossing my fingers. Nice. So I'm claiming Cynthia.
2: Okay. Uh how it's much fun. TV is on there? <laughs> One TV. Which has gotta be Sex in the City. That's it. Yep. Okay. I'm also gonna guess the Sex and the City movie. That's on there too. Okay, um, she got some like critics' prizes, and I think some nominations, and some big places for playing Emily Dickinson in Terrence Davies' Quiet Passion. I'm gonna guess a Quiet mm-hmm. Passion.
0: That's such a good guess, and that's where I would have gone too. But it's not among them.
2: Damn. Okay. Um, <laughs> I mean, I guess Sex in the City two. That's there. You got three of the four. Okay hmm if a quiet passion is there i'm gonna be skeptical that james white is there even though she's very good in that everything else that's coming to mind is tv or like tv movies is that your guess james white you know what i'll make it my guess because if it's wrong i'll get the year so james white
0: it's James White. You got them all before. Nice. <laughs> I was just not when I saw James White, I had completely forgot that movie existed. So, you know, that's she's really good moving. in it.
2: Um it's you know, bleak stuff, but she's good. <laughs> just good her,
0: job. her 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 insta- her IMDb is just just completely filled. And I was like, that third that third slot could kind of go to anything.
2: I'm surprised that there's not more TV in there. But the I NCO. get why three of those are taken up by Sex and the City. I re- I, when I clicked it, I was expecting...
0: I really wanted it to sweep. I wanted Sex and the City, Sex and the City 2, <laughs> Sex and the City, and yeah, just right. Like That. But unfortunately, right. nice. that's not what we were given.
2: <laughs> God, uh, we're getting season two of In Just Like That. I feel like um, uh, we're all going to collapse when it finally happens. <laughs> Alright, so that means Joe, I am giving to you, you will give to Bobby. For you, I went into the John Grisham filmography. All right. Including this same very year. The other John Grisham film was the firm. I'm not giving you Holly Hunter, who was Oscar nominated for it. I am giving you the other female star of the movie, Jean Triplehorn. Gene Triplehorn. Triplehorn. I love
1: Gene Triplehorn. Okay. Um no television. No television. Okay. So no big love. So I'm going to guess The Firm is one of them. The Firm, correct. Okay. Mm. Is Basic Instinct one of them?
2: Basic Instinct is one of them.
1: Okay. Um, Okay. So, now where to go? Gene Triplehorn. So... Most of the stuff I'm thinking of, obviously, she's, like, iconic uh, on the Gilded Age currently, but again, no television, so that doesn't count. Um, What were some of her other, like, 90s stuff? Um, Oh, we talked about this earlier. She's in Waterworld. Waterworld, correct. <laughs> okay. You are very close to a wow. perfect score for Gene
2: Triplehorn, sir. Oh,
1: I would be very happy with myself if I could. You have do that. no
2: wrong guesses, and you are waiting on one more movie.
1: Alright, so what other stuff? I mean, she's in reality bites, but like so briefly that like it barely counts. Um she's in the little movie within a movie that like MTV tries to make at the end. Um Okay. Rom-coms. Or maybe, like, other, like, dramas where she's... The Wife. Like, I imagine she had to do a lot of that stuff where it's just like... And Jean Triplehorn as The Wife. The wife. The um, wife. Yeah, Jean Triplehorn was originally cast in the Glenn Close <laughs> role in The Wife. Um, Alright, so... Waterworld the firm oh 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 she's in um what was that called with Hugh Grant where she's the she's marrying Hugh Grant and her dad is a mobster that was around the like analyze this meet the parents era maybe and it was called I can see the poster. It's literally the poster. It's like her and, like, Hugh Grant and, like, James Caan is, like, in the corner maybe glowering or something. Um, Mickey Blue Eyes. Is it that? Mickey Blue Eyes is incorrect. Damn it. All
2: <laughs> that Though I work. always remember Mickey Blue Eyes as... The, the family restaurant is La La Trattoria Troi- or something like that. So it's the, no, it's La La Trattoria. So it's the, the Trattoria. <laughs> and at the end of the movie, they, the caption is the, the end.
1: Oh, she's in funny. Sliding Doors. Is it Sliding Doors? Sliding Doors is correct. All right. Okay. All right. I got it. She's the other woman in that, right? I haven't seen Sliding Doors in so long. I was same, same, same here. But I think so.
2: Though I have loved seeing it be one of the things that people have memed out in This Was My Multiverse of Madness. So, <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Alright. Um all right, Bobby. This one's a little oh tricky, God. but I have <laughs> faith in you. Okay. Okay. So I went through these John the John Grisham movies. And okay. Okay. particularly A Time to Kill has eight Jillion people in that cast, and I sort of like went down pretty deep into the cast to get to this person. But I thought <laughs> um, she was—I don't know—we've done a lot of the people, so I—I I, I sort of had to dig a little bit. Uh, I believe yeah. she played the secretary to um, the the his his mentor is played by Donald Sutherland, and she's his like mm-hmm. secretary who is also kind of having an affair with him, and that was played by Brenda Fricker.
0: Brenda Fricker, okay. So I'm going to give you
1: Brenda Fricker. Okay. Um, Home Alone 2. Home Alone 2, Lost in New York, as Pigeon Lady. Credited as Pigeon Lady.
0: And for sure My Left Foot.
1: My Left Foot, she wins the Oscar for My Left Foot, yes.
0: And now I have no idea where to go. (laughs) I will say, I pulled it uh, up. This is the
2: four I would have guessed.
0: Okay. Okay. I'm. One is a comedy. One is stumped.
1: a drama.
0: Okay, so I'm just going to guess A Time to Kill because it's what we're talking about.
1: You are correct. A Time to Kill.
0: Okay. So you have
1: three of the four. The remaining film. I'm not going to give you too many a, hints because you could still get a perfect score, but it is a comedy.
0: I. God,
1: she's in. She plays the mother of the main character. It was on Comedy Central character. a lot, especially when I was younger.
2: This was a very, very important film in my household. Really? Oh, that's good. Oh, With Thinking of, God, like, yes. Comedy
0: Central movies, it's like, what about Bob? You know, like, that... Well, she's not in that. She's um, not in that.
1: Um... Although, the title is kind of similarly, like, a tossed-off thing, you might say. Um, it's, it's... Uh... The title is more of like a like a you know, a, p- a piece of dialogue, maybe a little bit.
0: Okay, that's not really going to help you. That's so I'm assuming gonna... it's I'm assuming it's a it's a 90s comedy. It's a 90s it's been comedy. On comedy. Central all the time.
1: Yes. Just like... Um, With
0: like can, a. Do I have to get wrong before I ask for a hint? Or no, I'll just a give hint you hints. You I know what? You're. Gonna, our yes. I don't think I'm gonna even have a guess. Okay,
1: you uh, guess
2: what about Bob mm-hmm. and. Uh that's Bill Murray. Bill Murray got famous from we will say the same television program as the star of this movie.
0: Okay. So Comedy Central movie with a Saturday Night Live person in it? Yes. Yes. Um, 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 um.
2: he
1: was either just Norm
2: Macdonald? Is it like a
1: No. more
2: famous than Norm Macdonald.
1: He was either just out of Saturday Night Live at this time or was like in his final years.
2: After having a huge box office success that we've maybe talked about this episode, and would go on to even bigger uh, yes. movie success,
0: a sat a ninety Saturday Night Live person,
1: uh, uh, like early nineties SNL was probably like the biggest breakout star of that Chris version of the cast.
0: Farley, not Chris, but what would but is it like a. Like, like Tommy Boy. I watch yeah. Tommy Boy all the time in Comedy Central. Um, it's Mike m- Myers, yes, yes, Mike
1: Myers, yes.
0: Okay, sorry, I'm like I'm not I'm not playing this game correct. No, no no, um. no, no, no. This is fine. <laughs> okay, good. Good. Uh, okay. A Mike Myers movie that was on Comedy Central all the time, so it's got to predate uh, Austin Powers. Correct. If you um, haven't seen wait. this movie, you definitely know it by its title. Okay. I, it's, it's So I Married an Axe Murderer? Yes. Yes. So I Married an Axe I do not remember Brenda Ficker in this, but I definitely watched this movie multiple
2: times. She's on- his I, mom. Cable. She's believe- his weekly world news oh. obsessed mom.
1: And they're always Quote doing factory. Like, the accents? Yes. He plays they're also... Always have, like, yeah, he plays they the father as well. Yes, 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 yes,
0: yes. Yes. And they all have the... Okay, Yes. Okay. I'm on
2: my weekly World News That's her. Garth Brooks juice diet. <laughs> yes. Okay. She's now also
1: super me. horny for Anthony Lapaglia, who is his best friend in the movie. Oh god. Where she's like constantly oh. hitting on Anthony Lapaglia. Wow, and now Anthony Lapaglia is back. He's he's the uh Kukaluni Villain in the client. Yeah, he sure is. Yeah, it's all coming together in (laughs) that in that amazing suit. John Grisham really was kind of the center of the Hollywood universe in the (laughs) nineties. It all came back around to a Grisham movie. It's totally so. Brenda
0: Fricker's top four are A Time to Kill, My Left Foot, Home Alone Two, and X. Yeah, that's why I wanted to give it to you because I was
1: like, this is a great known for. That's fun. Yeah,
0: I completely forgot she was in that. Yes. That was good. Ah, uh, good job. Very well done. <laughs> cool. What is, is, she, is she still alive? No.
1: I believe she is. What's going on with Brenda? Casting uh, yeah. those Home Alone 2 checks. She's, oh. um, Brenda yeah, she's making a movie right now Look with, her. uh, I don't know any of the other people in this, but okay. She had been in, remember she showed up in Albert Knobs and I was like, wait a second, where do I know that woman from? And she's in Albert Knobs. Um, mm-hmm. Nothing she's done since then is anything I know of by name. But, yeah, she's still kicking around. Good for her. All right. Yeah, good for Brenda. Yes.
0: Pigeon lady. I forgot that her credit is just pigeon lady. (laughs) Uh, That's that's really funny. Yes. All
2: right. That's our episode. If you want more This Head Oscar Buzz, you can check out the Tumblr at thisheadoscarbuzz.tumblr.com. You should also follow us on Twitter at had underscore Oscar underscore buzz. Bobby, thank you so, so, so much for coming back. (laughs) You, of thank course, you are always me. welcome. Uh, tell our listeners where they can find more of you, and tell us more about your book. Oh, uh, they can
0: find me at Bobby Finger on Twitter and Instagram, and they can read my uh, novel, The Old Place, when it comes out in September. Uh, so you can pre-order it. Just I'm so on excited. The, on
1: the link that, that is on, uh, I have on all those bios. already pre-ordered. It is awesome. You pre-ordered it? I did. Oh, of course you. I did. I cannot wait. I cannot wait to, uh, to read it. Yes, Amazing.
2: Great. Uh, and Joe, tell our listeners where they can find more of you.
1: Sure. Uh, I am on Twitter and Letterboxed at Joe Reed, Reed spelled R-E-I-D.
2: And I am also on Twitter and Letterbox at Chris V. File. That's F E I L. We'd like to thank Kyle Cummings for his fantastic artwork and Dave Gonzalez and Gavin Medias for their technical guidance. Please remember to rate, like, and review us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, wherever else you get your podcasts. Five star review in particular really helps us out with Apple Podcast visibility. So spread this award season conspiracy on the cover of your favorite Washington newspaper. <laughs> we promise Tony Goldwyn will not have you killed. Uh, that's all for this week, but we hope you'll be back next week for more buzz everyone to win a winner, baby that's so loud pastor